Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. This episode is sponsored by RLJE Films. Unveiled through a made-for-TV documentary, five tales of found footage horror emerge to take viewers on a terrifying journey into the grim underbelly of the 1980s in VHS 85. Now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you Includes my involvement with any one of you But if you wanna make love Then I do too And I'll be right there behind you Greetings, constant listeners. Welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast by Consequence of Sound. I'm your host today, Editor-in-Chief and President of Consequence of Sound, Mike Rothman. But I'm not alone. I'm also here with... Hey, everybody. This is Justin. Hashtag free the three. Girl. Oh. We're, we're really following that new Rob Zombie film, uh, The Three from Hell, which is apparently the, the uh, sequel. To Devil's Rejects, we're really, we're really Ray the Rock next, is it your next summer. Most anticipated film of 2019? I think it goes that first man. Oh, wow. Starring Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. And then I think it goes right back to the three. Hey, guess what? Good news. First man is landing mm. on the moon and in your theaters this fall. So that Rob Zombie movie could be your number one. Well, you know, I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to some F bombs. I can't wait for the F bombs. Some, some blood and guts, and maybe a couple like, fuck you to the man. I'm looking forward to it. I hope we get some classic rock. I hope we get some classic Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not the only one who loves Rob Zombie in this room. To your right is... Uh, this is Dan, a Devil's Rejects Caffrey. <laughs> wow, Devil's Rejects here. This is a real good uh, zombie cast. I actually really do like uh, Devil's Rejects. Yeah, uh, I'll see th- I'll see Free the Three. No, it's not called Free the Three. Uh, What's it called? It's called Three, three from, from, hell. from Hell. It's called Three uh, for One. And I, uh, I'm in town this weekend, or this week really, so uh, yeah, I got to uh, be back in person on the cast, which I'm really excited about. And um, I'm excited too, and it was really exciting to know that you landed in Chicago 12 hours after our Greetings from Castle Rock <laughs> Stephen King Film Festival. I planned it just like that. And everyone was asking for you, and I said, you know what? He's going to be here, but tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so. I did. Um, I really did. 
wasn't planning on purpose to not be there, but I, hey man, I had other business to attend to in Tennessee. I had to stay the whole night. I just did my uh, my best when people were asking me at the festival where you were. I just kept doing my best, uh, you know, Rufus T. Firefly, and going that little yeah. fuck pig hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> when I see that little fucker, I'm gonna tell him one. You should well, have done. Was... Uh, I know this isn't Halloweenies, but you should have done the line about uh, Ken for. Ken Free's line in the Halloween oh, yeah. remake where uh, you should oh. be like, oh, well, he's in the he's in the bathroom. Uh, he just ate a killer burrito and has to pass that beast in feast. No, wait, pass that. Was it pass, pass that, that beast in peace or something that, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. which is yeah. disgusting. Because it, it, when you know when Rob Zombie sits at the typewriter, he thinks of two things: what could I possibly do that's disgusting, and uh, who could I uh, possibly uh, whose career could I possibly ruin uh, while doing it? And so, <laughs> who could I bring back and then destroy? Because it, it, it's amazing that he's managed to take the mother of uh, you know in Cujo and in ET Wallace. Uh, and just totally shame her by having her daughter fuck a bagel with a finger, uh, you know. <laughs> And they're all laughing about it, like, "Oh my gosh, this is so funny! My my daughter's uh, gonna have sex." And we were all young. We ones. all we have sex together. And... I really did. You, I mean, I, I don't know there are like three Rob Zombie movies that I do like quite a bit. Yeah, I like uh, I like one that's really good, uh, and I like another one that's uh, pretty good, and then I think that ends for me. But what, what are the what are the three that you like? I liked The Devil's Rejects a lot. Um, I did like that. I like, I like that. I, I actually really like. That I one. like Lords of Salem. I like that. I appreciate House of Thousand Corpses. It's yeah. not. I don't think it's like a great movie, but I like it aesthetically. Um, the first probably you, half hour. You probably like it more because Chris Hardwick's in it. Oh God, is he? Is he one of the guys in the beginning who gets killed? Speaking yeah. of free the three, free the three. Yeah, Apparently well, like, free the Chris. He's cleared. Yeah, he's coming back to Talking Dead, my favorite TV show. So, you know, <laughs> we're we're all in luck. This is a great well, world. We're, we're we live talking in. about The Rock. Of the Rob Rock. Zombie, but let's get to Castle Rock. That's true. We? Well, you know, we are leaving Castle Rock uh, after a weekend of nothing but Castle Rock movies. It was fun. It's you know, uh, Dan, I got to say, uh, not to give you some FOMO, but uh, you missed out on that. Day, I, know, right? I had FOMO. I, I was looking at the pictures and, uh, yeah, really getting, get, getting. Uh, I wouldn't even say FOMO, just like uh, getting a little melancholy. Just yeah. wishing I was there. And, it, it, no, it really did seem cool. And uh, even, I don't know, you guys all look very stylish. No joke. I was like, man, they look like real pros up there on the stage. And, uh Mac did get me a, um, it, it's not a Stephen King print, but it was a Swamp Thing print from one of the artists that was there. That yeah, I, he did. I, it's nice. great. Yeah, that I really loved. Um, no, yeah. it looked awesome. I mean, yeah, what, what's what's the dispatch? How, uh, how how did it sound? Really went off without a hitch, I would say. Yeah. It was pretty smooth sailing from the moment we got there Friday night. Um, I guess the biggest thing was tr- trying to set up like at a certain time period for that, the live podcast, but that yeah. ended up going great going so. great i uh i left my headphones at home so i had to race right. home like ferris bueller and uh just jogging not even jogging just sprinting as fast as i could because i had 10 minutes before uh, we were supposed to begin so and randall this- and i and, and billy hansen who did the short film survivor type we were just uh, doing crowd work <laughs> it was pretty good crowd work too. <laughs> did you tell some good jokes yeah what, what was the what was the some best of the, bit? some of the really good jokes we were telling were things things like uh Hey, what's your favorite Stephen King movie? You know, it's really <laughs> raunchy material, cutting edge. Bill, uh, I'm glad that they got to show Survivor Type at the Music Box because he he took it to the festival circuit when he first made it, but I, th- I don't think he got to Music Box. And I feel like um, I don't know. I've just I've just wanted. People yeah, to see I had never while. seen it, and it, it was really effective. People were squirming. Yeah, it was. I was squirming. Mike and I were talking yesterday because I was hanging out with Bill, my old college roommate, my old uh, my old uh, my old flame. What's interesting? <laughs> he was the roommate of uh, two losers on here. Oh yeah, because he lived in them room. later too. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. We were talking, and I because we just read Survivor Type for Skeleton Crew, which I still do like as a story. But I feel like I almost remembered the story being more disturbing because of Bill's movie. Because mm-hmm. I'd seen the movie 
more recently than I'd, I'd read reread Skeleton Crew, and so it was it was strange rereading it because I'm like, oh, the book doesn't actually go as far as I thought it did because I could just keep remembering the effects and that, and yeah, it was super cool. What what was your guys' personal favorite film that we showed? Not even like if you liked it beforehand, but just the best like experience in the in the movie theater. I mean, for me, I I would have to go with Stand by Me just because I had been wanting to see it on the big screen forever, and I got to, you know I got to watch it with Bill who I hadn't seen in like eight years. Uh, and so it, it was like a nice, well, about six years. But it just it just felt like appropriate to watch that movie with someone that I had, you know, just reunited with for such a long time. And having that be the kickoff was, it was just a really good feeling. And knowing that everything that we had worked on for so long, for like a few months, was actually coming to fruition. It was the biggest showing of the weekend. There was just, there's just a really good energy in the crowd. And we saw a lot of like young kids watching it. They were loving uh-huh. it too. So that was really, that was just a really special screening. And I was bawling my eyes out by the end of it. But so for me, it was Stand By Me. Uh, for me, it was, was, I think was the second biggest yeah. screening which was the mist in black and white yep that was uh and i'd just seen it we'd all just seen it a couple yeah. months ago and not even a couple it was like, like a, a month ago or something like yeah. that but i i sat through the whole thing and it was just it's it just keeps rising in my mm-hmm. estimation most yeah. like the great king films at this point and we had a great crowd with it too yeah, like a great crowd laughing at the right moments everybody yeah. the the thrill i think was everybody that was at every screening was applauding at the end of every movie. Yeah. Even, you know, Cujo would end applause. Yeah. Neville thing ended. Neville everybody thing breaks out applause. Oh yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. was into it. Even, even the segments for, Cu- uh, not Cujo, the segments for creep show, they were applauding for that, especially uh, nice. like, uh, you know, to tide you over, something yeah. to tide you over, which like they, uh, they all loved like Leslie Nielsen's performance. It's, uh, it's funny because the Miss black and white, I rem- remember for a long time, the only place you could see it was on like the special edition. Yeah. Uh, Blair, Blair wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. yeah. And because I, I, I remember when we, Mike and I saw we it saw in theaters, together. and I, I was like furious at that ending when I first we saw just it. just sat there afterwards. And for I, like... I couldn't believe they did that because I was actually with the rest of the movie. And so I, I did not like The Mist for a long time. But then I, um, if, I think the black and white version finally became available a couple of years ago. You can get on Google Play or something. Or no, or Voodoo. What's it? That, it was or, some weird show. It was Voodoo. Yeah, it was Voodoo, yeah, I think. Yeah. 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 So I finally rented it. And I, I, yeah, it's like you were saying. It just had just aged really well, and I feel like it was ahead of the curve. And because it was sort of pre King Renaissance, it wasn't quite like oh, definitely. And I think the, I think the effects look a lot better in black and white. I think the black and white just matches the tone of the the movie. And I've come to really respect that ending. It's so ballsy. I think it's so, very ballsy. Yeah, and it still just hits you. <laughs> Like a tack hammer on the head. I mean, we uh, everyone walking out was just like, oh. A tack God. hammer or a ball peen hammer? Hey. Ball peen hammer. Yeah, yeah here we go. Thing. But yeah, no, I wish it could have been there. It looked awesome. And uh, and also, I mean, I just love the Music Box Theater just to do something there anyway. And we'd done some other events for the site there. But to have, I mean, this was really curated, like, so specifically by us. And um, just doing the, lo- the podcast on stage, it seemed like it was a really special Well, thing. it was also a great thing because, you know, we've got listeners from all over. But I think, I don't want to speak for Mike, but I think, you know. That was great. Just to see the amount of people that came out yeah. and listened to the podcast and were big fans. I don't want to start naming names because I don't want to leave anybody out. But it was great getting to know everybody and having yeah. a conversation with a lot of people. And we were just really appreciative of everything. And we're equally appreciative of everybody totally. that listens and, and, and chimes in on social media and sends us behind the scenes photos from movies that are coming out yeah. and yeah. so it's it's it was great it was wonderful i mean i just like i love our listeners so much and honestly it's in, in at a time when like everything just seems to be going to hell mm-hmm. in every facet of the world uh including the industry at this point that i'm in but uh th- th- there's just 
probably the some of the best moments in my life right now are just the interactions with them and especially mm-hmm. online and to have that in person was just so like it, it was just really just touching like it was yeah. really like heartwarming yeah. and some of the conversations that we had with a lot of uh listeners who had traveled really far i mean from like charleston from uh some miami from miami california from california colorado i mean there was like people really came far and it just really meant a lot knowing that something that we just knowing that they were like a part of like the, what we've built and you know and they're helping us build it and it's just it was really 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 did really, anyone really from Kessler Rock come did we get you know uh, Leland Gaunt came at first yeah, time. Mike was, I didn't want to stress Mike out but Leland Gaunt showed up and was like ooh a ticket for one yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is yeah, that what he, he bought a ticket for Needful things he did and then, yeah. and then, and then he, I think he was like, leaving the applause at the very end but it, but it was probably and, and then they're like okay that will be $20 he's like oh I don't have $20 but I have this uh, this picture of uh, a naked, no, I'm not gonna go yeah, but, uh, but yeah, but then they he hands it to them, and then we see it's actually just like a, a an old tattered baseball card because mm-hmm. that's what he does. Um, oh, and also, uh, it's cool you guys got Evan Evan Weiss from Into It Over at Pet Cemetery. Great guy, yeah, oh my I, gosh, uh, so much fun. I interviewed him when I worked at Audio Tree, uh, all of Into It Over It. I was in there for for like a session, and he was great. He was um, cracking me up. Yeah, no, he's super funny. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah, it seemed like an awesome event. So uh, a, a big pat on the back to, to you guys and the listeners and everyone who came out and, and all that good stuff. Well, we're gonna be doing another one. And uh, we are definitely going to be doing another one next year. Uh, and you're going to have to stay tuned and find out more details. Well, no spoilers, but let's just say we're going to do all 10 Children of the Corn films. Oh, totally. All 10 of them. Children of the Corn. Uh, maybe Corn Fest. Secret Window, I'm thinking. Uh, noon yeah. to Noon. Graveyard Shit. Dreamcatcher, The Mangler. <laughs> yeah. Mangler 2. <laughs> Mangler Reborn. Oh, my gosh. No, but I, I think it's pretty much going to be a lock that we'll have misery. So yeah. we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. So what about the Miss TV show? <laughs> the Miss TV show. Yeah, we're gonna have ten hours. We'll, no, we'll just show episode six of the Mist or something it's like random. that. Random. Yeah, the most controversial. Oh one. my god. Anyway, we're not done with Castle Rock yet, though. No, no. I mean, we're not gonna be done for a while with Castle Rock. We we got we got like a few more weeks of this. Seven sure more weeks, six more weeks. Either way, before we get to Castle Rock, though. We have some news to, to mm-hmm. go into. And, you know, these episodes are not going to be the formal episodes that we, we, we have where we do the, the needful tweets and, you know, the, the news. We're just, we're just going to catch you up on a, a couple of things. And uh, first off, uh, it should be noted that uh, if you follow our socials, you might have seen the adult losers walking around. Mm-hmm. And what do, you, what, what do you guys think about this photo? I just was wondering where Stan was. <laughs> spoiler alert no uh no i love it man i i don't know i it for me i loved it when it came out i've i have really good memories because it was the first the first uh movie i saw in austin at the alma draft house your guys favorite uh, uh mm. place in the I world love the alma draft house. i actually really do love the alma draft house. were they taking orders before or after george you guys aren't yeah they had, they had the, <laughs> they had the pennywise pickles they had the, oh wow they have the the, the dairy uh they had the ice cream sundae you could get a plate of eddie spaghetti oh I like that's that pretty one. great that's actually. pretty good no i just made that up i don't oh, know wow. they did wow. or not but I, I just have i like the movie a lot and i've i just have good memories of moving to this yeah. new city not knowing a ton of people yet and going to the movies and and, and it, i I don't know, but we are all human, huge Stephen King fans. Obviously, it was just so anticipated for me, and I saw it at midnight, and I just loved it. And so, um, so I don't know I'm just like, and and it'll be a start of a new school year, and I'll see it. At, no, actually, wait, the movie's not coming out for another year. Yeah, because I, I just thought I'm next like, oh, it's September. October. But no, so I, I don't know. I just I feel like because I felt like they nailed the first one, I'm just really revved up for this, and yeah. I I just love seeing the what seems to be a really warm set and people yeah. getting along, and I love that so many of the actors that we were really hoping 
would get these roles like it came through. That and was it just, bizarre. It just seems like they're doing it right. And, I mean, um, it looks like the older versions of the kids in this one photo. It, uh, by the way, the photo is, if you haven't seen it on our socials, it's the adult losers, six of the seven of them, uh, who are uh, seem to be walking to uh, an Applebee's. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But uh, they're all just kind of hanging out, uh, and Richie, a.k.a. Bill Hader, is pointing, and he's wearing a it's leather Pennywise. jacket. It's Pennywise. And he's like, hey, there he is. He's over there. It's Bill Skarsgård. Uh, That's a pretty good Bill Hader impression. Yeah. I hey, I, I turned the tables. That's great. <laughs> he usually yeah. does a good impressions. But uh, yeah, he, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, so we got a while to go. They're still filming, and we're gonna hear a lot about it. Did um, no, the um, the sur- the footage they showed at Comic Con is not surfaced, right? No, yeah. no, I don't think it will. It's no. it was the there was the scene uh, the the infamous uh, Chinese restaurant scene, mm-hmm. or at yeah. least a little bit of it. I don't it's, I don't think it was the full well. They scene. probably haven't filmed much yet, right? No, That's they just started. A weeks well, ago. and because uh, last year they they kept everything pretty under wraps, and then you saw that that trailer, and then they released that um, first footage, the sewer scene. But that was only a couple months before the movie actually came out that that got released, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it, I think I feel like you know next year, obviously, we'll, yeah. we'll have a lot more footage for Comic. And I remember Comic-Con. I hadn't seen it. You guys had all seen the bootleg footage before it got taken down. And I remember we were in the moving truck and we were stopping in Missouri uh, between here and Austin. And you, Justin, had texted me. He he found like a some more bootleg footage of the the sewer scene. So I, I watched it in a U-Haul and I was really excited. So, uh, um, hey, if anyone has that footage. Um, and and hey, the FCC or whoever would shut us down, uh, don't get mad, but we want that footage. Yeah. Like, pump up the volume. You, yeah. you can't take us down. We'll live forever. We'll live true. forever. Samantha Mathis is uh, waiting right outside. And of course, the father from Teen Wolf is the, is the principal trying to take him down. That is true. Let me ask you a question, Dan. Uh, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> matter of fact. There we go. As a matter of fact, well, that is true. Um, if you could get the footage from Halloween, which is, seems to be a very important scene... Uh, which we've discussed mm-hmm. uh, in our recent uh, Halloween Six episode. Would you watch it right now? Oh hell yeah! yeah? I would watch the look. I'm I, I'm I know we we have different opinions on spoils spoils spoilers because you you're really good about keeping a yeah. But uh, when it comes safe. to you know I've said before if it's anything Stephen King related or Halloween related because of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I do feel it's an obligation for me to actually watch as much as I can, yeah. even if it, it's a detriment. I think know. I uh, yeah I've just kind of accepted it about myself of if it's there I will I will watch it I will read it. Um, but I mean, Justin and I read when you read the whole it script that we had yeah. before it came out, and it was actually I mean, they made a lot of changes, but you could see that it was a legit draft because you could see a lot of the stuff that made its way into what came yeah. out, and I think a scene that's gonna that they saved for the second movie that that is definitely in that oh, original wow. script, yeah, and so and some origin stuff for Pennywise. So yeah, I just, I've just accepted that about myself that that I will. I'm a, just a degenerate when it comes out. I have, I have no impulse control. Well, we were talking about that over the weekend, actually, uh, and especially with a couple of listeners that were coming up to the table, that, you know, what are the younger losers going to do in this next movie? And I was thinking about the fact that there are so many scenes well, from the book that they could just do in, you know, in film at this point. But the problem is, is that unlike the book, their experiences with Pennywise don't aren't, isn't just relegated to this summer whereas in the movie that's the case oh that's a good point Though yeah I because wonder, they see him throughout the year right yeah because there's like this there's that scene in the book with like the the snow or like the frozen lake where they see with the silver balloons with the, the ice skating and all that yeah and so i you know and then the mutant uh or the creature from the, the black lagoon 
I mean, there's a lot of stuff they could still do that's pulled straight directly from the book, but I just don't know narratively if it makes sense with the movie. So I think they've really gone away with you seeing any monsters that aren't Pennywise, with yeah. the exception of the leper. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're gonna. If, I think if you, yeah. if you have any other flashbacks, it's just gonna be capitalizing on Bill Skarsgård. No, it'd be really cool. I I think what they need to do is because in the book you see the Universal monsters. Yeah. I think what they need to do the um, Universal's Dark Universe, and so we see the, <laughs> we see Tom Cruise's mummy, and uh, I'm good, that's it because there's. That's, that's it. all it's been that's done. Yeah, then Eddie, Eddie sees Beverly. Yeah, yeah. Eddie, Eddie just sees the, the he gets tempted by the the sexy mummy in the Tom Cruise movie. Well, or, if you could use the modern Universal monsters, I'm talking the '70s forward. Yeah, like Jaws. Oh yeah. Oh, which is love, in the book. I would love right? to see that Jaws scene. Yeah, in the in the book, it's it's not one of the younger kids because the book the, in present day is the '80s. Yeah. So one of the kids who gets killed in the present sees Jaws in the canal, and it's um. It's like giant. Though. Yeah. The the fin is like twenty feet tall. That's so and, uh, scary. Yeah, Ugh. I think the mouth because one of the one of the common uh, traits shared by a lot of the monsters in the book, which is really freaky, is these Gillette razor blades like shoved in his teeth. Yeah. I remember like the vampire, the Dracula has like just Gillette razor blade shoved into his gums. Ugh. I think that, I think Jaws has that too. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting that wrong. We're, uh, we're currently rereading it, but um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah. We could get like a, I would love to, I, I just like sharks. So I would love to see that the creature from the black lagoon scene, which I know they don't have the rights to that. That would be, I would love to see it. Cause he like rips the kid's head off. It's just so, and that see that, that whole sequence is already really disturbing because the, the dad is like abuse, abusive and is killed. Wait, I think, yeah. I think they do have the rights to that. Cause isn't that all universal? It is Universal, but it's but, but Warner Brothers is doing the movie. Oh, I'm, so that's no, you're the problem. Right. I'm getting mixed yeah. up. But the, what Warner Brothers does have is they they have the rights to The Exorcist. Uh, they have a right, obviously, to the you know DC. Uh, they have the rights to The Departed. Maybe uh, they Jack should use they should use this abomination coming out this uh, winter called Aquaman. Oh that's yeah, that could be fun. That would, that would be scary to me. What the, if Penny, what if they see Pennywise as Jared Leto's Joker? Just like, Ooh, oh, God. I'm back, kids. Here, here's some really classic Warner Brothers films that they could pull from for IP for Pennywise to come back as. Mm. Gremlins. Gremlins. <laughs> yeah. uh, Gremlins could. Gremlins could be cool. Be fun. Yeah. Uh, you've got mail. <laughs> Love you've got mail. <laughs> Driving Miss Daisy. They use this, the score would be pretty good too. Uh, God with the wind. No. Uh, the music man. So maybe uh, he can come out and start. He come singing. out with like seventy six <laughs> trombones. Yeah. I was in the music man. As, as uh, lad. So was I. Twister. Maybe Bill. Oh no! No, it's not gonna happen. I totally forgot that he passed. Carrie Ellis could come back as a nightcrawler. That would be creepy too, especially uh, (laughs) given he's in for the money, not the science. Yeah, Carrie Ellis is actually kind of a creepy, uh, you know, from reports I've read. Actually, so anyway, we're welcoming uh, him on the podcast anytime to defend himself. Speaking of another creepy guy, uh, could be um, Lethal Weapon. uh, Martin Riggs could come out. Like he he keep instead of like keep trying he keeps trying to blow his head off instead of he's like trying to blow other people's heads off yeah that could be crazy and then oh a million dollar baby mm. so maybe Clint Eastwood could come out and uh, try to kill another person I actually think Pennywise should convert to a stool and if you try oh, to no. your head on it and and somebody pushes you into yeah, it yeah uh, you have, anyway. anything else we spoil. Well, I don't know. Yeah, well, sorry. Dirty Harry, they have that one, so maybe you could come out and start shooting people with magnums. Uh, Streetcar Named Desire. He's naming the slate of Warner Brothers from the last yes. 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. So we got The Fugitive. Maybe uh, Time Lily Jones could come out, you know, try to hunt down the Your kids. Your fugitive's name is Bob Gray. <laughs> I didn't kill. Uh, I didn't kill those kids. I, I don't care. He's at the standpipe though, and then Pennywise jumps into the standpipe. <laughs> <laughs> he 
<laughs> I would love it if Tommy Lee Jones' character from The Fugitive was crossing over into it, chapter uh, two. Are you referring to U.S. Marshal Sam Gerard? Yeah. Mm. And they bring back uh, uh, Joe Pantoliano. Let's bring he back needs- Wesley Snipes. Give him his due after U.S. Marshals. <laughs> they get right, the anyway, all-star cast that come in. Anyway. We can go off anyway. Anyway. Sorry, yeah. So if you like Mr. Mercedes and you're, <laughs> and you're excited... <laughs> And you, <laughs> that's my transition. So listen, guys, if you like Mr. Mercedes, if you like Mr. Mercedes and you're excited for season two that debuts uh, on uh, August 22nd, the day after my birthday, and Joe Strummers, the late Joe Strummers, uh, it premieres on the Audience Network. If you, if any of you have it, I have not seen or heard of anyone who has it, but uh, if you do, you are excited because season two is coming back and Jack Bender wants a third season. Oh, well, you could do it. You could do it because apparently this isn't going to be. Uh... Well, again, this is coming from somebody who has not uh, seen the ending of the first season. Mm-hmm. But from what I've seen in the artwork, it looks like they're jumping a book and going to one of the books I have not read in this trilogy. Hmm. So you could. Oh, I you guess... still haven't read end of end of watch. No, I've not. Oh. So you could still do the Finders Keepers plot for season three. If you wanted to, Jack. I, I mean, I, I actually haven't seen any of the show yet. I'm pretty behind on my team watching. <laughs> yeah, somebody you know hates that book. I, it's really good. Yeah, you know, that yeah, no. I, I, when the fact that you and and Randall liked it, I'm like, okay, that's because I know neither yeah. of you are crazy about the book. I mean, I've been too busy binging Degrassi. No joke. I know. The what next are you generation, doing? I know. Are you know. reading it right now? Uh, I'm getting my first edition copy from my old coworker tomorrow. So in town, that's why I'm a third I came of the back. Way, I'm a third of the way there. Yeah, I'm. I know. I know. I'm a little bit behind, yeah. but um, I'm. I'm confident. That's a page turner. I mean, I've read it, it like is a four page times. It's and still I, yeah, great. And, and I'm. I've been looking forward to it all summer. So I think I'll. I, I plan that being like the first Sanry on the airplane on yeah. the way back to Austin. But I, um, I bought my uh, paperback uh, copy yesterday, uh, not realizing I was wearing the Losers Club T-shirt, uh, a brand new one, and, uh, <laughs> looking like a psycho Stephen King fan that was coming in, being like, "I must read this." And somebody, the the person that was the at cashier. the checkout, actually the cashier, she was at the event and she recognized it, and oh. then I felt uh, like an idiot. But uh, but it was funny because you were almost because at first weren't you like, "Oh cool, she recognized me." You're like, oh wait, I'm wearing the goddamn, I'm wearing the goddamn shirt. shirt. Like, yeah. I, I she was super nice, but she shout, was very nice, shout yeah. out to the bookseller in Lincoln Square, Chicago. Great place, great purveyor oh. of Stephen King novels and, and other novels too. Speaking of third seasons, mm. uh, actually speaking of another season, uh, different seasons, Castle Rock. They're talking about the next season already. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, since we're going to be talking about Castle Rock today, I figured we might as well talk about the news surrounding Castle Rock. So. At Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con. Heard of it? Uh, Sam Shaw, the co-creator, mm-hmm. uh, he had said, basically, our plan was always to approach each season as an unwritten Stephen King novel. So he's basically saying that uh, this is going to be an anthology series, and each season is going to be a totally different you know, season, or a totally different story. And this is what he wrote. Uh, wrote. He said, he said, he's a genre unto himself. Speaking of Stephen King, and there are seven or eight well-defined subgenres. We've always loved the stories dealing with crime and punishment and prisons, and Stephen King sort of grappling with real-world monsters and what we do with them and where we put them and how we treat them and whether that makes us monsters. This season is written very much in the shadow of Shawshank and the Green Mile and stories dealing with incarceration. But then there are great banging monster stories, and there are cosmic stories about good and evil. We hope to have the latitude to come back to future seasons and just tell a great monster story set in like 1974 or a different kind of story under the influence of a very different Stephen King novel, Shaw added. So, look, the potential for this show is... 
I mean, all the, I know you guys have talked about it on the previous episodes, but I mean, all the references they're doing, it's, there's such deep cuts. And so I think, um, and you know, there's been some different opinions online, whether it's a good or bad thing, but I think they, they've at least demonstrated they have the knowledge of Stephen King to really branch out into some cool directions. Oh, Um, totally. Totally. So yeah, I I would, yeah, I would love to see them, you know, continuing to chase that. Something I've actually, I don't know if we should save it for later on in the discussion, but something I'm struggling with when it comes to it being an anthology show Normally, I'm very much for the anthology, mm-hmm. but I'm not, you know, I've watched almost half the episodes, and I'm not really ready to, like, not hang out with these characters after yeah. the season. Like, I, I wonder, but this could be a situation where it's like Fargo. I love Fargo season one, but then season two is also amazing with a totally different cast. So, yeah. you know, it's a big challenge, obviously, you're you're setting yourself up for. but Which is kind of cool, because, like, I mean, if you think about it, they could easily revisit a lot of these characters when they're at their certain ages. True. You know, like yeah. they could ha- recast Pangborn again. As yeah. Like another veteran actor, kind of like what they did with Patrick Wilson. Uh, Patrick... Come in like like Fargo. <laughs> yeah. Right. He comes back. Yeah. It's the same character. Uh, but I, I honestly, I, I think the it would be interesting to have like a '70s set Castle Rock story. And at that point, I mean, we've never really been in Castle Rock in the early '70s like that before. I mean, well, I mean, the '60s we did with like Stan, you know, oh, the Gwen's Box. Yeah. I think takes place in the '60s. But Stan, oh, does it really? Yeah. Stand by Me is also weird because in the movie it's in Oregon. It's not in. It's ca- yeah. it's Castle Rock, but it's ah, not. But yeah. it's... I mean, it's, it's it looks like Maine, you know, kind yes. of thing. Yeah. And um, I mean, I get I guess in the dead. I can't. The movie The Dead Zone. Do they go to Castle Rock? They do. Again? They do, right? Yeah. So you see yeah. it for a little bit, but it's not. Yeah. You, know, you get to thing. see Sheriff Bannerman. Yeah, he's walking around, mm-hmm. and he's very good looking in a uh, Cronenberg's Dead Zone. So, anyway. <laughs> That's the news for us uh, to catch you up while we're going over Castle Rock. Are we ready to go to Castle Rock? Let's do it. Let's go back. Well, hey, guess what? I just got a postcard, and it says, Greetings from Castle Rock. Where did you think I was those 11 days? Why didn't we ever talk about it? You want to talk? Okay. No, they always say that Castle Rock has some kind of luck. Not really luck, though. Bad shit happens here because bad people know they're safe here. Why do you have my police file? I know, Henry. I've always known. So previously on Castle Rock, things are going uh, awry, (laughs) to say the least. There's been a discovery in Shawshank. What do they find in Shawshank? They find a kid. And who's the kid? Well, I wish he was the... No, I, I don't wish he was the kid from the stand, because... Well, he's not the kid from the stand, and he's, he's not Pennywise. Like, the kid, yeah, he's not Pennywise. Do you think he's not Pennywise? He's I don't not know. Pennywise. He's not, he's not Pennywise. Okay, I, yeah. I was theorizing when the trailer came out that he could yeah. possibly be, like, a Dandelo or a style yeah, Pennywise yeah. thing, but who... No, I don't it's think more, the, It's more just a nod in the casting, just like yeah. SpaceX is a nod and everything, yeah. yeah. Um, and who was keeping him down there? Well, Wait, do we say it was Bill Skarsgård? Yeah, yeah, We did say it was Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, we said Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Billy Skarsgård. Yeah, the uh, the guys coming down there. It's it's the husband from a, a good marriage. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, Dale Lacey, yeah. Dale Lacey, the warden of Shawshank, uh, played by Terry Quinn, who was in uh, a good marriage, which I'd actually never seen. He was in a good marriage, right? The right, isn't he the? Uh, no, I think that's Pierce no, Brosnan. That's Anthony Anthony Lapaglia. I'm a little rusty guy, sorry. Well, either way, it's okay. But uh, you know, he's he's no longer with us because uh, Dale Lacey uh, went into Castle Lake. Uh, tied a rope around his neck, uh, listened to the same music that Andy Dufresne, mm-hmm. <laughs> Andy Dufresne, uh, <laughs> plays in Shawshank uh, Redemption, the movie, not the actual uh, mm-hmm. book, and uh, takes a look at a shaggy dog and just hits that gas and goes right into the lake. Decapitates and, himself. Decapitates himself. 
And this is going to set off. This has been setting off a chain of events because uh, you know they find the the kid down in uh, in this very obscure part of uh, Shawshank. He has to go into a pipe. Well, that that was part of why I thought maybe it was Pennywise because he has to go into like a standpipe. Pipe. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's yeah. a very visual know, yeah, metaphor yeah. that they're showing around there. Uh, but uh, his his discovery prompts uh, the return of Henry Deaver, and uh, as we know, Henry Deaver is a death row attorney. And uh, he's come back to town to figure out what's going on with this kid because the kid is was was the the one who called him. Yeah, said and, Henry uh, Deaver. Henry has a a uh, a not a checkered past necessarily, but a foggy past that uh, he, he disappeared a for a while. Past. A misty past. He disappeared for a while in the snow and uh, doesn't. From what I'm getting, doesn't quite remember what happened Does in all time. Um, so yeah, he comes back and starts discovering all these things. He was rescued by Sheriff Alan Pangborn, played by the great fucking Scott Glenn. Every Don't you every shut the, see the fuck God up. damn it like this. I actually love <laughs> that. Love Scott Glenn. Awesome. God damn it. Um, where's where, where are your rankings so far with Pangborn? Pangborn rankings. Oh go. Man. You know what? I, it's it's still Ed Harris because mm-hmm. that's that was the first for me. Yeah, and you know, but uh, I love, I'm loving Scott Glenn. I love Michael Rooker too, and and Dark Half. So. Yeah. No, what's weird is that I feel like Ed, Ed Harris, even though Needful Things is not my favorite Stephen King adaptation, but it does that Pangborn feels the most like the book Pangborn to yeah, me. Yeah, I agree. And Scott Glenn does in the flashbacks when we see him when he's younger, he feels much more like Ed Harris's character. I think the idea is that he's gotten old yeah. and hard yeah, and grizzled. It's, it's, it's an older man. It's kind of a different thing, but he, he's great though. Um, well, we got a lot of great characters in this show. We yeah. got a, 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 a one of uh, Henry's old uh, childhood friends, uh, Molly Strand, uh, played by the great Melanie Linsky. Oh, she's, she's so got good. A, in this. She's got a quirky past, also. Would mm-hmm. you say she's? I feel like even just the reviews I'm reading, I feel like she's like the MVP right now of the show. I don't know. At least she's like at, at least critical consensus. I really do well, love her all bottle the episode. In, uh, episode three was pretty. Uh, oh, that solid. was that, that was episode three was like. Um, I mean, I like the first two episodes, but it was a lot of kind of hand wringing and not you know introducing yeah. questions without answers, and that there's still a lot of mystery, obviously, but. I really enjoyed that episode three showed that they're totally cool sticking with more or less one character and yeah. explaining some things and and uh, following that because uh, yeah last time you discovered that she uh, she is responsible for the death of Henry Deaver's adopted father which is going to um, cause some complications uh, yeah so the story yeah. Uh, and that and that and you you see that a little bit with this episode just him trying to figure out what, what the hell's his, going on did he have a role in all this and uh, what he you know. Uh, Pangborn does tell him that he he essentially tells him like that he said the words I did it and that like maybe he had a role in the in the yeah. the not the father's ultimate death because as we see it was from her turn off we'll, his life support we'll go into all that yeah, in just, just a, a bit a lot, but yeah. Henry's got a really uh, hard time figuring out his own past because he doesn't remember it uh, he's got a mother who is suffering from dementia and uh, his mother is a very familiar face for all Stephen King fans out there Carrie White from a good marriage. <laughs> from a good, is she from a good marriage also? No, no she's no, not no. from a good marriage. But it's uh, Sissy Spacek who plays Ruth Deaver, and she's uh, suffering from dementia, so not a lot of answers there. And uh, when Henry does actually approach her for answers, uh, he gets a he finds a dead end. So we got a we got a great cast, we got a, a great round of characters, and I'm also forgetting one more. Noel Fisher. What's going on with Noel Fisher's Dennis Zaleski? Noel Fisher, I think uh, everything's getting to him. Yeah. I think the monotony of the day-to-day job is getting to him. and uh, The Shawshank Guard, it's not a good life. Well, if you're listening to this episode, you know he gets killed at the very end. I think yeah. he kills a bunch of people. Yes. So yeah. things so, aren't going good. So we're going we're gonna to chart how, we, uh, how it gets to that point. Yeah, but, we were uh, talking about that a bit before we started recording. But now we've kind of caught you up on uh, all the characters in the, the town. And considering that Jane Levy's not in here... Uh, we're not going to really find too much about Jackie Torrance in this episode, no. unfortunately. But this episode, episode four, 
One second. Um, episode four. This episode, episode four, the box. What's going on in this episode? This there 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 seems to be two main lines, two through lines, really that that are rock solid through this episode. You seem it seems that Henry. It's a very Henry centric episode yeah. for the most part. But it's also it also seems to be you know a, a Dennis episode too. I think it's bookended especially. Yeah, but if we look at where everybody else is during the episode, Molly's struggling to sell the Lacey's house now. You've got Henry going to a mysterious house that may have something to do with his disappearance from 26, 27 years earlier. Yeah. Uh, another hit connection. Ooh, there, by the weird. Way. That is kind of creepy. And then, of course, uh, poor Dennis is a little trek there. I mean, look, we all hate our jobs. Dennis really hates his job. He hates it. <laughs> yeah. It's understandable. But you know what also hates his job? Uh, Henry Deaver. And by job, I mean his life. And by life, I mean his time in town. And we should probably talk about his time in town, at least in this chapter, in the latest Heroes. Hello, Bill Band here from the All 80s Movies Podcast to tell you about Factor Meals. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today. And villains. All right, let's start with the man of the hour. The great Andre Holland. The great Andre Holland. I am loving him in this show. Excellent, yeah. He is so good at just conveying so much emotion with this sort of like dazed stupor. Like almost like his reaction shots say more than any piece of dialogue in the show sometimes. Well, because he doesn't know who to trust at this point. I mean, he no. a, he already has memory problems, obviously, from when he was a little kid and is dealing with some PTSD. Which we see early on in this. Oh, yeah. And the town also, I mean, it's no secret, it's a Stephen King story. The town itself, you could argue, is some kind of supernatural presence going on. Like, And you, were, I think you referred, you said before, the past is trying to keep him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's also talking to people who may not have his best interests. Like, it, um, yeah, he's this character that needs, he needs information from other people, and the people who may or may not have it are kind well, of uh, kind of jerks, maybe. And, you know, he doesn't want to be there, the town doesn't want him to be there, but then to really further, like dive that or dig excuse me that knife into his gut is the fact that not even his mother wants to leave with him mm-hmm. she would rather stay in town he's getting shit from alan pangborn it's a really interesting situation you're finding the protagonist of a show and where literally nobody wants him to be there but he doesn't even want to be there no so. but hey despite all that guess what happened this episode he went to the bone zone he did he went to the bone zone with molly which we were talking about last season or last season last episode the two, them, the two of them, the two of them had a had a great night. 
when you asked we him, hope so. Well, we don't know. She <laughs> said, she said, come with me, and then it cuts to the next morning. And they're he's, laying in He's bed. looking quite dazed in bed. Yeah. And she's in the, she's taking pills in the bathroom. But other than that, they, I'm sure they had a great time. When you said good, uh, Bone Zone, I have to admit, I thought it was like a spooky thing. Like I, that wasn't my first. Uh, like I was like, oh, bag no, they didn't get Hey, there are some bag of bones, or should I say a coffin of bones in this. What's going on with uh, Henry's father, or should I say stepfather? Yeah, it's uh, he and Pangborn are going to where Deaver's uh, father Deaver's body mm-hmm. was relocated, which we did, which we talked about in earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah, which is like it's in a landfill, which yeah, is really depressing. depressing as fuck. I think there's gonna be something with the land that he like. The, I I feel like it's like a not maybe not a pet cemetery type thing, but some kind of. I think I feel like this the ground is gonna have some kind of. Spiritual well, like think of it this it. way: so you had previous. I mean, this is more about like in the 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 room two thirty seven where we do some of our theories, but. I think it's safe to say that it, there's it, there's got to be a parallel between the dog being you know buried or unburied again by Pangborn in, in the previous episodes, and then having the father being buried, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, being open again. It's there's, there's some weird mm-hmm. parallel, parallel there, and then the way that Ruth also looks at the 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 coffin is there's something there. No, you know? totally. I didn't notice that the first time, but when I rewatched it again, yeah, there's something in her face that says. Something might be going around yeah. here. Let's say that there's something that her dementia didn't take away. She, mm-hmm. she probably remembers something. Well, it's also, I, I will say, I mean, I've, I've, I have a grandmother who's kind of in the throes of dementia right now. And um, she she doesn't have much memory left. But when it was kind of slipping from her and she was still pretty, she could still talk about things pretty cognizantly. The stuff she did remember was like, I won't go into it in detail, but it was stuff that we were actually always told not to talk to her about because it was some painful things from her life Mm. and it was really interesting because like the that that was what she was cool talking about and it Mm -hmm. wasn't even a traumatic way where she was tortured by it she would just be like oh yeah this happened to me when i was a kid and it it was it was very odd so i think i think when i mean i don't know a ton about dementia but i feel like that's a thing right like you always you retain maybe the darkest things the things that you otherwise wouldn't want to remember no totally and i think giving the character of ruth dementia makes her an unreliable character in mm-hmm. a lot of ways too. So again, maybe she does know something that we don't know, or again, it could just be the fact that she is is slowly losing it. And something I love about the just the characterization of her is I feel like the the usual thing you do with the characters who are suffering from memory loss or dementia or Alzheimer's is they become almost childlike and spacey. And I like that she still has so much agency and she no. can still say kind of horrible things to Henry and really get under his skin. I mean, we see it in the, the scene where she's cleaning the fish and she mentions not wanting to go to Texas. And I love that it's like this woman who you think, oh, oh yeah, Henry, that can it can be easy to convince her. She's sweet. She'll want to do that. And then she's like, no, fuck you. I'm not yeah. doing this. I just she like- also does this weird thing where like later on when Henry comes back and says like, hey, your father wouldn't want you to walk in here with your shoes on and your click clacks yeah. on. Which means that I guess she's maybe reverting back to like the past and like sees Henry as a child again. Yeah. So it's like. I mean, God, this guy is like Henry is at the worst right now. Totally. Right? Like, I mean, he's he basically I mean, he has no reliable people to to lean on. With the, I guess we kind of find out that he maybe Pangborn is at this point uh, that he might actually be his like closest partner in crime, which is kind of maybe where they're inferring where this is going to lead to. But it just seems as if like he's really on his own terms, which is why, or he's on his own, which is why this episode he's, we see a uh, detective Deaver. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just, and, and also you know. too, I mean, I th- and I do think you're right. I, I actually don't, Pangborn might know some more information, but I do think he is kind of trustworthy, but through all this, you also find out that, yeah, he was in the woods or in the, near the snow, or I'm, I'm pretty sure this is what they, they're implying that because he was 
he was uh he was putting some horns on Mr. Deaver, some cuckold horns, and uh, and I th- and I think I think they're setting up some really interesting dynamics. And that yes, he is an ally to to Henry, but Henry's like, hey man, you were do like you were doing this to my father, blah blah blah. Yeah. You're shacking up with my mother. There's some trust issues there, and so I love that everyone Henry has to team up with. Their, it's it's people who like you said you I, can't. You I, I can't do trust. think though you kind of touched upon it earlier, Pangborn is very honest with him a lot throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, again, he tells him what his father said to him before he died. Yeah. Um, he tells him to shut the fuck up. Nobody else tells him to shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know? just that but great he Scott will Glenn, still dude. not answer everything. But I do think that Pangborn does have the best intentions. Yeah. If this is indeed trying to emulate the characters that we saw in the Needful Things and the Dark Half, that Pangborn, yeah. who is an honorable guy, who he is, is trying to do the right thing, if they're still following that path, then I do think at the end of this series of episodes, we're going to see Pangborn and Henry really team up yeah, and, and defeat whatever evil. Well, it's also the classic up. sort of like Abrams thing. You know, I know he didn't write this and all, but I mean, he, was, was, he just serves as a producer, but that's like such a big thing in a lot of his programs. There's this like the unlikely pairings that actually have to kind of go and work together. I mean, I mean, lost, lost. Yeah, you see a, the, the Jack alliances, and, Locke, and then there's also Jack some, and Sawyer, or like you know, there's probably ben. some like map of all the different alliances that oh, have, totally. have gone on, and it's uh, yeah, and it it it, it gets kind of crazy, but in in a in a really good way. But it makes for compelling narrative. Yeah. So I, I my, my, but the thing that's I mean, what did, what did we have a lot of revelations for Henry in this? Mm-hmm. You know, we see him having a sort of dazed kidnapping yeah. memory where he's in a box. Almost like a, ca- it's a, a cage. cage no, it's a kind. cage. Yeah. And he's in the dirt, though. Mm-hmm. And he's playing with his trucks, uh, you know, in the dirt. Oh, no, Maximum Overdrive. Uh, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's King's a Green Dominion. Goblin truck. Yeah, it's a Green Goblin truck. No, but uh, so they, he basically wants to chase this memory. And we find him at the library uh, where Mike Hanlon is not working. And well, that would be dairy. That would be dairy. Uh, so he's scanning through the newspapers, and we find a little bit of information about Shawshank and mm-hmm. about uh, Lacey. Uh, like apparently there was a fire at Shawshank in '87. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, basically, it, I actually paused it, and you could read some stuff in it. So, oh, nice. It says that like Pangborn was the first policeman on the scene during the, mm. the fire, uh, because at first you find out that uh, Lacey had become the warden. Uh, in January of 85. Yes, that's correct. And then in 87, there was a fire uh, in cell block F, which is maybe why they, they closed that location. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and the, the K- fact the K- that Pangborn K- K- was yeah. there, maybe that's when they started you know, putting the, the kid away or something. But so it's, it's kind of like a subtle way of like giving us hints of what was going on. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, also the picture that they used of Lacey from in 85 looks a lot like the Lacey that we see in that initial flashback sequence mm-hmm. with the kid. Yeah. So I do think that that all is happening in between 85 and 87. Yeah. And then we find out that, uh, or Henry at least finds out that uh, there was um, a suspect in his kidnapping. And that is uh, Vince Desjardins. And why do <laughs> we know it. that name? Why does that ring a bell? He is one of the bullies from The Body slash Stand By Me. And it's mm-hmm. also weird because uh, Carrie White's t- p- uh, phys ed teacher, it's the yeah, same last it's name. Chris, yeah, but... Which, I mean, that could also just be its main. There's a lot of French last mm-hmm. names. I don't know if they're ever supposed to be related. I, I just researched on that, too. because I, cause First of all, the names sound really familiar to me because of Carrie. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. even think about yeah. The Body at all no. with that last name. But it, I, I don't think they're related. Or and, and that is... Uh, that is not the first appearance of one of Ace Merrill's no. gang, uh, 
gang mates, right? This is something I don't know if I discovered after you guys recorded the episode. I think it was after. But the woman whom Henry is defending in that first episode. In Texas. The, her husband that she killed is, is Eyeball Chalmers. Which is Chris's brother. Chris's yeah. brother from, from the body as well. And I think that's smart because it's hard. All right, so you have some of these more iconic King ter- characters like Alan Pangborn. But it's hard sometimes when it's a really well-known character to kind of give them a new narrative and fit into there. Yeah. I love that they're they're going. They're not even doing Ace Merrill because we we already know his history because Needful Things. Spoiler alert for people who haven't read that book. You know he dies, and so I love that they're able to stay faithful to the King narrative by all of all this yeah. by actually using these not not even secondary characters like background characters. Well, that's the thing, and and my enjoyment of that brief storyline was not affected at all either no. way no. Like, like learning about later oh that's fun this isn't an example of let's focus in on, on the blue milk no. in Rogue One or have them bump into somebody what's it, the, the fucking name of that creature whose hand gets chopped off and a Pandavada that kind yeah. of thing this, Walrus, isn't, man. this isn't the dark tower where we're seeing Cujo getting walked down the street as Christine walks by these are just fun <laughs> easter eggs for the diehard fans, yeah. you don't have to have ever, you really never have had to read the Stephen King book to enjoy the show. Don't you think it narratively though, it's a little bit of a stretch that he's all the way down in Texas and there's still someone that's linked to Castle Rock. Again, it's, it's such a small Easter egg. It is, yeah. If they had said like, Kyle's oh, this a wheel. is, yeah, if this is, oh, <laughs> yeah. it's actually Alan Pangborn's yeah. brother or something yeah. like that. I mean, it, that's very, I mean, I, I've said it in the last episode, but it, that is very Kingian. Yeah. The, the idea that there would be some sort of connective yeah. tissue in that weird way. One, you can tell they're thinking about it because if if you if you look at Ace's gang, even even though they're just high school greasers in in the novella, they're still painted as kind of awful people. So yeah. yeah, it makes sense that this one guy would be in this like violent tumultuous relationship. It makes sense that the other guy would, whether or not he actually did or not, but maybe be linked to a, a kidnapping. Uh, uh, here's a theory. So if uh, Eyeball Chambers was down in Texas, uh, maybe uh, Chris had come to visit and uh, got some barbecue, and that's where the stabbing happened. <laughs> I'm sure he he visited that brother he loved yeah. so much. I actually wonder. Hey, let's not forget. Chris was a uh, either going to law school or was a lawyer, so maybe Could they can too. make some connection at some point. Um, but yeah, and so yeah, he goes. So um, Henry goes to the Desjardins' house. Uh, he does not find his brother there. He finds or sorry, he does not find Vince there. He finds Vince's brother, Joseph, who's a new character. Right? We haven't yep. seen him. I at love all. this house. By this the is way. so so creepy. disturbing. So the house itself is just totally dilapidated. It looks like yeah. there's been a hoarder who's lived there yeah. or is still living there. Mm-hmm. There's a piano that's crashed through the roof. And we discover this has become like a makeshift barber shop. Yeah. Where, again, Vince's brother, Joseph, is working. Mm-hmm. This great character actor, by the way. Yeah. I, I, could, I couldn't tell you right now what I've seen him in, but he's been in Mighty Ducks, things. I think he's in okay. uh, the sequel. Uh, with, D2, the Mighty Ducks. He might be in D2 or D3. Uh, he was one of the... He's one of the um, the the managers. Yeah, and, he's been around for a while. Yeah, he gives a really great performance. You, you think at first he's just a kindly old man who, you know, just had a really rotten brother trying to run some type of a weird business. He gave fades to old black boxers back in the day, so he knew how to give Henry a haircut. He said, "Very strange, but very yeah. nice of him." Nice story detail too. I like but that. I love when he discovers who Henry is. We then go to this weird room again. It looks like the hoarder room. And he's got Henry's old case files there. And he says that, no, he did know him, but he he never laid a hand on him or something bizarre like that. Yeah, it gets really creepy really fast. And in it's, true King fashion. It's, and, it's, and it's good about revealing information with not revealing everything. And, and then, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan in horror movies of people in somewhat a tense or scary situation. And they arrive somewhere where 
you think maybe there's some safety. They do it really well in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and then there's, and yeah, and you think things are going okay. And then there's a shift all of a sudden where you're like, ew, this is not what I thought it was. Um, and uh, I doubt we'll be seeing the last of uh, Mr. Doe. I, Joe. Hope. I, I thought it was a really good little performance yeah. there. I, I did too. And just the surreality uh, or the surrealism of the barbershop being there. Yeah. Just who the it. fuck yeah. goes up there? Like, it's just odd. Were there any more new characters that are of note uh, outside of him? Uh, Those are the only episode? real new characters of any consequence that I know. Mm. So everybody else that we follow are people that we follow for the first three episodes. Well, that's pretty much other than the fact that uh, Henry leaves that area because he inve- inspects that box and confirms that. And that was really creepy too because then he's like, well, no, he didn't have a dog, but there was a... Well, there's bowl that with a, a spoon in it. That it was, was a like, rotted food, or maybe was yeah. in there too. And then that whole sequence is just so eerie, and would probably be in our cemetery uh, coming up. But I, for me, it was just he seems to keep getting more questions when he's looking for answers, which is a bad robot motif. Mm. Uh, they love doing that. Uh, so I, <laughs> I still don't really know much, but there is some sort of like, you know. Uh, there's an insistency on Henry's part when he comes home and returns to Alan uh, to Pangborn and says like, Hey, uh, you're the one that inspected me. Like what the hell? Why, why were you, you doing do your, your job? Yeah. Why aren't you doing your job? And to which Pangborn gives him a pretty crazy revelation that you had already hinted at before, which was that he knew exactly what happened to uh, Henry's father uh, is that, it was Henry that actually pushed the, that's the ladder. What, that's what the father said. Henry mm-hmm. did it. And Henry can't remember, but he says that it's not. And at this point, he wants to leave town. Yeah. He can't deal with being there anymore. He, like, he's, he, he tries to find comfort in Molly. He can't find it there. Yeah. So he calls a character we'll be talking about later on, tells him, no sorry, dice. we're not going to go through this big trial. We're going to do the settlement. Yeah. And... That's Henry's major arc for this episode. I, I think Henry probably misses the Alamo Draft House, and he's like, "I got to get back to Texas." <laughs> I got to gotta... get back for them to, to to quietly drop off receipts with five minutes left to the movie. And you know what's going to happen? We're gonna, one, one day the podcast is going to go to Texas, and yeah. we're gonna have the opportunity to record at the Draft House, and you guys are going to be on your hands and knees begging them for some special menu food. And, and you know what I'm and gonna be forgiveness. Doing? I'm going to be like, "Hey, can you not be nachos. chewing those uh, tortilla chips while we're recording? It's uh, getting into the mic." I'll say this, man. Uh, I uh, I mean, we we always joke. I, I love the draft house. I love their special menu. Um, but you know, I'm 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 good to lob a few jokes at them sometimes. All, all in good fun. Uh, I saw Infinity War very late, and I, it wasn't playing at the draft house anymore. So I had to go to the Galaxy Six IMAX in, in Austin. On that uh, uh, on that special menu at the the draft house, do they ever have fish? As in Fisher, as in Noel Fisher. And hey. that's my seg into Dennis Zaleski, who is our second most important character in this episode. What happens in these bookends, and why is it tragic, and why do I keep singing Roy Orbison, even though I did not watch a David Lynch movie today? Well, my, it's a great question. I've got some notes here. The first song we hear when he's having his little monotonous walk, walk to work is mm-hmm. Tom Waits' Clap Hands. Love Ooh. Tom Waits and Clap Hands. And this is latter-day Tom Waits' guttural. Waits mm-hmm. is like it's off, of, uh, off the Rain Dogs album. Which is great. Rain Dogs is awesome. Yeah. Um, from like 80, 80, what, 84? It's like 74, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. And, you know, he, he, every time he trades off with the current security officer, she always has some really lame joke for him. Yeah. Close the door, and all he's left with for his entire shift are just a number of security cameras yeah. or security TVs yeah. showing what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nine times out of ten in the prison. Nothing's really going on at all. Yeah. 
except we kind of learn how a little, we learn a little bit, a little bit more about how the guards are treating these inmates. Mm-hmm. It gets to the point where he's he'll walk by a guard beating the shit out of an inmate. It doesn't affect him at all. And this has been going on day in day out for I believe years at this point for this kid's life. And we know from the Shawshank Redemption or Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank mm-hmm. Redemption that this has been going on for a very long time. So that's, there's always been something yeah. corrupt going on, no matter yeah. who the warden is. Yeah. Because in the short story, there are three different wardens in that yeah. period, and it doesn't matter which universe you follow, the short story or the or the movie. Yeah. Something's uh, always it's a not miss. a nice place. One, it's fun. We Mike and I were talking about this before we started recording. Um, there are a lot of different possible motivations for why he does what he's you know, about to do. And part of it's like, oh, was he doing it from this moral act of trying to defend the inmates? Or was he? did he just snap? What, is he so deadened to it? Or is it a combination of all those things? Well, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but every move he makes on the camera mirrors that... Um, uh, that the illusion that he has in the first episode yep. of oh I didn't of even the pick kid up on that. doing it he literally mirrors those motions yes. so is the kid responsible for this happening or is the kid able to see into the future and it kind of knows everybody's destiny there's a lot of great things see, that have yet to be discovered here so I have a, a, a theory um, and I don't think again we could say this for later but what I think what happens is that it's it's kind of it can't be coincidence that he literally starts kind of showing that he's losing his mind right after he does a fist bump. That's true. With the kid, and mm. uh, he also insists that he's going to get the kid out. Mm-hmm. Now, if you you know if this is kind of going into the kid a little bit, so we can kind of combine them right now because they seem to be intertwined anyway. And that it seems as if, like, you know, when we watched the kid earlier on where Shawshank's lawyer or whatever, the, the guy that represents Shawshank comes in and starts saying, like, oh, Josh Cook or something like that. He's basically, like, subtly threatening him by sharing a story about Desert Storm and how mm-hmm. their uh, Republican captain or whatever had basically threatened uh, one of their, I guess, their uh, hostages by saying that they're going to, like, you know, break your teeth and make you swallow them. And they started doing that and then says that, yeah, I got we got our answers and we got names. We got more names. But basically, he has a name. Kid. And he says he has a name. He has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And then he's like, what the fuck? Close the gate. <laughs> close, and, the, close the cell. But he doesn't close it. Nope. Who closes it? The kid does. The kid does. does, Which makes me think the kid wants to stay locked away. So when Zaleski says, I'm going to testify and get you out of here and show all the corruption in this Mm. town, I have a feeling that the kid is basically like, uh, no, like, I don't want you to do that. Yeah. (laughs) But then it wouldn't explain why he was seeing the echoes like in previous episodes. So maybe the kid actually knew that was going to happen. And what's great is, again, rewatching these episodes, you really notice that Skarsgård gives nothing away. Because oftentimes in horror movies or or shows, like once the, um, the, the poor sucker leaves the scene and you're only left with like the corporal villain. You see like a little, yeah, a hint of like a, <laughs> yeah. hmm, I got him. Mm-hmm. There is still nothing there. Yeah. So we still know nothing. It's yeah. just excellent. It's a, uh, great. And, and it, it's not a horror movie, although some people maybe think it is. And uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, you see that a lot. Like every time someone leaves a scene, Robin Williams, the, Justin, it's the showtime. Showtime. Uh, <laughs> we, we, showtime. We know his true intent when they leave. Yeah. But, so, I mean, it's his <sighs> sad ending for his life. It's sad. And then as the episode goes on, if, if, if the great thing about Hulu is I do recommend rewatching this stuff because mm-hmm. a lot of times you find yourself looking for references when yeah. you just kind of be watching a show. Yeah. But I'll say that there's a great quote early on 
when uh, Dennis is talking to Henry at the Mellow Tiger. I love that the Mellow Tiger's back in the culture. And And he says, um, I'm I'm a prisoner in there too. How many times can one fucking town look the other way? So again, that kind of goes back to what you were saying, Mike. Maybe this is just a snapping point. It could be. And it is. uh, It's funny because um, he he takes down his fellow deputy, who I thought was going to be a bigger character. It's the dude from uh, Treme and... uh, And the Deuce. Yeah, and the Deuce. Yeah, he's great. And uh, he was super hunk, if I may say so myself. But he Um, was an asshole, though. And he he basically was joking around about the the way the prisoners are acting. So, I mean, it it makes sense why he would take him out as well. He he was an asshole, but it was that thing, I don't know... it's interesting when they show law enforcement dynamics and you have a character who's more altruistic. Well, I don't know if I called him altruistic at this point, <laughs> but uh, I mean the murder now. But you know the dynamic of a I guess good cop bad cop thing. Um, because you do you do sort of like their relationship, you know, even though the other guy is kind of a piece of shit. And so I was just surprised that this early on. Well, I guess we're about what halfway through the almost halfway there. So I just thought he was maybe maybe going to play some kind of bigger part, and especially because he was one of to me one of the more known actors on the show. I, I was well, I was stunned. Just that Dennis didn't make it past the fourth episode. I know, yeah. I thought that he was going to be yeah. there till the Al- end. Although, as we've seen with Terry O'Quinn, I mean, obviously, characters have a way of staying on the show even if they're not alive. Yeah, I mean, true. You know, maybe yeah, we can see some, some more things. So, he does yeah. not kill Henry, though. Yeah, no, yeah. He, no, no. no, no, he doesn't, yeah. Well, because Henry's also... I. That's what I'm saying. Like, whether or not he was under the influence of the kid or whatever else, there seemed to be some kind of specific moral bent mm-hmm. to it. Even though he's butchering 20 cops, like, he, none of the inmates get killed. You know, what, like, what and, and he that, says, I want to testify. I think he felt like that yeah. was his only way to have his day in court was to be the person on trial. Yeah. Yeah. Which, honestly, there's, there's still so many questions, though. Because, like... You know, like the smiley faces that he writes on the, the you know, on the, on the, on the cameras yeah. on his previous shift. It's just like, what was going through? I mean, what is he? What, what did that entail? I mean, and then like, the next time he just has a, sol- a few select X, X's. Yeah. A couple of the monitors. too. So does it just mean, was that his state of being? Like, well, I mean, I'm trying to understand this. He could have been, there. he could have been plotting out the, the, where he was strategy even yeah you know I mean? that's, yeah, that's why i think that the, the smiley faces versus exes so yeah great yeah well great shocking scene. ending great ending to a episode shocking love the warrior overson song crying oh god yeah. it's so good i was crying um i wasn't but <laughs> let's just say uh let's just say his wife will be because now she's uh she's a widow and has a child so boy tough times in the zaleski family tough times at castle rock <laughs> tough times in castle rock because now they have like less cops Fucking prisoners are going to go crazy. Uh, they need a hero. Who else could be a hero but Molly Strand? What's going on with her? She's still... Uh, we found some some crazy stuff about her, too. Some of the funnier parts of this episode are definitely with her trying yeah. to hide the urn yeah. of, 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 <laughs> of yeah. Lacey's remains. And we playful. find out they're putting like the freezer yeah. while the uh, the couple's over. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Do you know who that couple is? I The, the father or the husband uh, looked familiar. I, I feel like I've seen him from election. Where he he's gets, been a lot. He was like noticeably for me, of course. Dan, I hate to leave you on this. He's the he's that tennis instructor from Seinfeld. He is. Who's, who's actually yes. awful at tennis. He is. Oh <laughs> he's my trying god. Trying to show off for his wife. Yes, that's him. Oh my god. Yeah. The wife was in True Blood for a while. I know that. But yeah, it was very okay. funny watching him. Yeah, and that was a fun, playful scene. I, I like yeah. that the show knows how to mix its humor. Uh, well, yeah, because there, yeah, there weren't a ton of develop like major developments for her. Like, I feel like the last episode oh. was more her episode Definitely. and. Uh, so yeah, but I like that they still had her in there, and like she, I don't know, she's just so awesome to watch on the show, and 
Yeah, I mean, hey, Stephen King, you know, he likes some humor every now and then, too. He's, he likes some levity right in there. Exactly. Well, she invites Henry to sleep over. Uh, they go to the Bone Zone, like we mentioned before. Uh, we find out something else about her past that we'll talk about in King's Dominion. And um, I, I think, I, I'm wondering, if, you know, since we've gone to the Bone Zone, are, are we going to have to have a pound cake section on these uh, these episodes? We'll I don't think so. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder, because even that was, was handled as was great. delicately as you could possibly <laughs> a handle lot, sex. A lot yeah. classier than it would have been handled in a King novel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably, yeah. Well, there's also something really key that she says, though, when Henry is questioning whether or not he did kill yeah. his father or what ha- mm-hmm. was responsible for everything that happened. She says, whatever happened, it isn't your fault. You were just a kid. I feel she's really talking to herself. Yes. Absolutely. She's the, obviously the one that kills yeah. The, yeah, the reverend or the father, whatever. The Do we think uh, Henry's going to find out about her doing it? I think so. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Got, I don't know. I'm not sure when. It's Chekhov's yeah. gun, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah I really true. do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be uh, rough. And I don't know if there's going to be bones on after that. But what else do we got here? We got, uh, we got, we got, we got a little bit with Ruth Deaver. Yeah. Ruth and um, I think uh, Ruth and Alan have some really good scenes together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, again, Ruth kind of tells a story yeah. about um, the, the day Jardines a little bit when he, go, when he comes back home and she's getting that fish, I believe. Mm-hmm. You still see a little bit more of the dynamic between her and her and her adopted son, but one of my favorite parts of the episode is just that that simple scene when Alan shows up and mm-hmm. maybe softly suggests, "Well, maybe you do want to go with your son, like a warmer environment, or yeah, yeah, or something." But she's insistent upon staying. Home is where the heart is, and uh, home is where the Ruth is. Apparently, home is where the Ruth is. <laughs> Citizen Ruth, Lord Dern. <laughs> But uh, I I really do like that uh, she she seems to be so insistent on staying at home. She seems to have some sort of goddamn connection with uh, her former husband, who is buried in a coffin, a nondescript coffin, by the way, that's been wrapped in saran wrap, and she seems to have some sort of connection there. So, but but it could have been any coffin, but she mm-hmm. seems to know exactly that coffin and who it is. Yeah, which is really weird and jarring as well. Well, I think um, where they ended up dropping it off at wasn't that where the church. It was at the church, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's maybe why she knew it had to So she him. knew, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just, it made me think, like, maybe she's got some sort of psychic power, and it's uh, Carrie White. Carrie White, she's back. Keeping this theory alive, even though it's crazy. I'll tell you right it's, now. It's uh, withering away. I usually would hate this thing. I would have absolutely no problem if they did that. I know. Me maybe either. Carrie. It's fine. And she just I, totally I no forgets. No problem. It'd be great. She grew up. She tried to escape. She she became an adult. As we knew, she was becoming mm-hmm. an adult in yeah. the book, Carrie. Well, I mean, and, but she's um, dead. I would she's, have no problem. But she's dead, though. And the... but we don't know she's dead. We don't in know the book. Dead. Oh, come on! You in the book, the movie. In the book, the movie. Yeah. Right. And uh, you know, let's just say that Sissy Spacek played Carrie. Um, Look, if we, if, I, we, if, we see, if we see some bullshit, st- if we see some stab yeah. wounds, that's all I'm saying. If we see some stab wounds later on, keep an eye out. Yeah, that would be pretty crazy. Also, speaking of crazy, uh, not actually really that crazy, but um, angry. Hmm. Let's talk about Pangborn for a second. What's going on with Pangborn in this he's, episode? He's using a lot of swear words, and I'm he's loving just, it. Uh, I, <laughs> I love Scott Glenn. At, at first, it was a, it was at first it was a little silly, but I'm like, nah, he's owning this. Yeah. And he's just like, I feel like all those guys who are in like the right stuff, like him and Sam Shepard and all them. They're, Fred Ward. They, I'm like, wait, Ed Harris also. Oh, weird. Oh, Whoa, the Pangborn where's, connection. Where's wow. uh, Michael Rooker in that movie? Yeah, um, but it, and it is funny. Is it Michael Rooker not not in in uh, in Needful Thing or sorry, the Dark Half necessarily, but I feel like it's another one of those like slightly younger than them but like old like the can just sell that like piss and vinegar yeah, dialogue definitely. and so yeah i love when pangborn uh once again it's it's the, the show is doing a really great job if we're talking about characters of 
having allies for Henry, but but adding some like conflict in there. Yeah. That no one's a, no one is like an unequivocal um, uh, beacon of light for him. No, They're no. all kind. Of, and so that scene is great because it's like now you see the penguins telling the truth. But he's just like, yeah, motherfucker. Well, everybody on the show it. has a gray zone. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. a dead zone. Some might say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we a, don't know that the moral ambiguity is really well done. Yeah, so. it's a, yeah, I just love it. Uh, Scott Glenn's just one of those actors I would just watch. Like, to, I would watch him like sit on a porch and like spit tobacco into a tin can for an hour. I, I would watch Scott Glenn just you know doing anything at this point. Like, I, so, I, he's amazing. I he's would like, watch him as like a, a blind instructor of some type of martial art trying to instruct a, <laughs> a fellow blind lawyer somewhere in Hell's Kitchen. I think that would be incredible. Would you, oh, would you watch wild. it even if they took that blind lawyer and put him on a, on a show with maybe some other heroes, one of who's probably not interesting at all, and uh, and, and you know they, they've, it's like a super group of superheroes, and would you watch that? I, w- I would probably watch that. I'd probably watch something like where there's been this huge uh, event where you think that the end of the world's coming, half the world's population disappears, and I would maybe watch him as the father of Justin Thoreau <laughs> on a show like that. I, I would, I would probably watch him like up in the mountains somewhere. Uh, you got a uh, crazy ice sickles that are falling everywhere, and and you got uh, Chris O'Donnell uh, fresh off of uh, Batman Forever, just running around. Mm, Here's know. a question: Would you watch him maybe in a role where he's not so grizzled, but arguably in a movie that's the most prestigious of his, of his career, and he's running the FBI, and he's got he's looking a little more like uh, a Rod. Rosenstein or whatever his name is that then like he's not he's getting rid of that grizzledness but he's got he, suits he's got he's, he's becoming a little bookish would you and, and maybe I would the, watch it and maybe this character has also been played by three well, other actors in their law enforcement well, so. well, well, stay with me this is a crazy hypothetical but would you follow him if he was somewhere down I'm not sure kind of like an urban neighborhood and he beats the shit out of Deborah Winger <laughs> would you want to see somebody like I'm trying to think back in the like the early '80s. Who was pop- like like John Travolta shows up and he, like wins her back. Would you want to see something like that? I would. I would. Would I you would actually? Watch him in anything. Would you watch him in like maybe a third chapter where you see some crazy former mathematician from a Boston college jumping over buildings and breaking through glass and you know making threatening calls to uh, his uh, f- former Hannibal Lecter? Would you watch that? I would watch it only if the first installment could get a real Stu Redman uh, type actor in, in, in that. And uh, but but mm. my my question is, would you watch him if he was playing maybe a not very noble guy, but he's also a law enforcement officer? But you find out he's corrupt, and his buddy, uh, you know, let's just shoot for the stars. Denzel Washington comes over to his house, and uh, you know he he offers him some really expensive liquor, maybe, and then Denzel Washington betrays him. Would well, you watch it? I would, but would you watch? Not one, but two versions where he's a firefighter who turns out to be a bad guy in the end of both versions. Maybe one of them stars Howie Long. Maybe the other one stars an up-and-coming William Baldwin. Would you watch this movie? I would or, or definitely the other one. watch that. I think the real lesson is we'd watch Scott Glenn in just about anything. We just sure. about and anything. Scene. I hope he gets to do all these <laughs> that movies. Was great. That, was, that, that was a great time. Fun if time. You, if you uh, want to know more about Scott Glenn, consult your uh, public library. Uh, there are some great uh, Scott Glenn classics that are uh, available for free. There's the, the, the making card. of the right stuff, the making of Firestorm starring Howie Long. I mean, it's all there. <laughs> They're all there. Let's talk about Pangborn for a second. There are some <laughs> things that are going on with him. Mm. It seems as if, uh, you know, I had already mentioned that he was the first on the scene in that 87 fire. We already know from Needful Things and The Dark Half that this is a, this is a guy that has to patch things up and make sure things are in order. Mm-hmm. And it seems as if he did that for Henry in the past. Mm-hmm. So what does he mean when he 
had to when he was trying to explain himself for when uh, Henry came, comes at him and says, "Why didn't you do your fucking job?" I think we're gonna find out. Yeah, a couple sure, weeks from. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. I mean, I think once we know the whole story of what Henry did and what happened to him, maybe maybe Pangborn, even though he was a kid, did have to cover up some some stuff. For yeah. him. much like he would maybe have to help uh, his friend Denzel Washington cover up some corruption. That is true. Know. We've seen Scott Glenn do a lot of covering up. Oh my gosh! So it seems as if. Uh, We've reached the end of Heroes and Villains. I think we have. I think we have. The, ma- the major villains here you know, in the Heroes. I, I think we had some fun talking about some heroes, and maybe only only a couple of villains. And are they villains? Are they even villains? Would you consider Dennis a villain here? No. That's, that's the thing about the show. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I think that there's something else at work here. There could be. It could be the shining in our shining moments. Do you know how I knew your name was Doc? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I can remember when I was a little boy. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shiny. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had the shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. Shiny moments happen to be things that we loved about the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not necessarily like, scary moments, right? This is just no, no, not scary okay, moments. Right. We got a place for that, and uh, it's uh, it's kind of a place where they need to bury uh, Papa Deaver. But this one is specifically going to be about things that we really appreciate. It could be performances. It could be mm. it could be the compositions, as I uh, stressed in last week's episode. Mm. It could be moments that uh, shining moments. That's why we're calling it. So anything that you think that really caught your eye and your attention, go I'm, nuts. I'm gonna start with the obvious one. Um, that using Roy Orbison's crying yeah. at the end is great. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm always a sucker for like a. Uh, an action scene that's maybe scored more by music than it is loud gunshots or mm-hmm. whatever else. And, of course, and and also I'm, I know they've done tons of movies, but I always love seeing violent scenes through a surveillance yeah. camera. I'm a big fan of it. And well, Halloween I mean, and, you know, yeah. yeah, it wasn't, I was watching it. It wasn't a one shot, but I love how we just really just stayed on those camera, on those TVs, and just slowly moved to the next one, waited for them to show mm-hmm. up, slowly moved to the next one. Really good payoff. And it's a classic example too. of using a song that is not very violent or scary and, and, and you know, juxtaposition like and making um, it like that. Yeah. If anybody out there is listening, which I'm sure you're doing right now, if anybody wants to try to rescore that with Rob Zombie's Dragula, <laughs> you want to give us a kick. I've, a lot of people ask what they can do as, as listeners. Do that. Yeah. Rescore really oh, the last four minutes of this episode with Rob Zombie's Dragula. I swear I, you, will, you will never be forgotten. I want to know. I, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is the case because King, I'm, I can't think of the, any specific songs, but I'm pretty sure King has used Ray Orbison as one of the songs to, quoted. Yes, like, yes. I feel like in Christine or something, it's got to be in there. I wonder if he's used crying, because that I don't know, that would just like even deepen the show's knowledge. I know that uh, David Lynch loves uh, Roy Orbison, and oh, this totally. scene reminded me of part eight of Twin Peaks The Return, yeah, yeah. where you had the platters, my prayer, playing over some of the most violent mm. you know, visuals that you'll ever see in any television. 
you know what else? No, what other uh, movie or I guess piece of pop culture loves Roy Orbison is a Pretty Woman. That's <laughs> true. Hey, uh, <laughs> naming uh, the movie after a song. We referenced uh, Pretty Woman in uh, the recent Halloweenies episode. Cause a wheel. What can I say? Um, is a wheel. Yeah. What about you guys? Yeah. What, 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 what about you, Justin? Uh, I, I alluded to it earlier. There's a really great scene between Sissy Spacek and Alan Pangborn. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I love that yeah. actor. Oh, what's his name again? Oh, oh yeah. wow, Scott, Scott Glenn. Glenn. I like that we spent like uh, five minutes talking you know, just about Scott Glenn. I love these two war, these two old war horses, <laughs> and seeing them on the on the on the screen again was was a real treat. I mean, they are truly like you know they're legends. Yeah. I mean, these other people on are up and comers. Andre Holland's an up and comer. I mean, obviously. Um, well, Jane Levy's been doing this for like fifty years. Yeah, so. she's, she's, yeah. she's yeah, yeah Terry Quinn. Yeah. Terry Quinn. Old yeah, but horse. I mean, these are true yeah. like. You know Hollywood royalty at this point. It's like watching know Sam Shepard in like Bloodline. It, seriously, it yeah. Is. Or, or Sam Shepard with Sissy Spacek. Sissy or, Spacek. Or, or Sam Shepard in the right stuff with Scott Glenn. Oh, that <laughs> is <laughs> sure. Wow, cause a wheel. Yeah, I'll say. But some of my other favorite moments, I guess, would be in the cemetery. But uh, in terms of just something that really stood out to me, I really like that scene halfway through the episode where they're just talking. He kind of goes over and like wraps his arms around. He goes, "I love it when you talk uh, about the uh, the ancients or whatever." Yeah, she starts alluding to old texts and whatnot. I uh, love that. Love that moment. That's my favorite scene. No, ditto. I, for me, it's it's a, a lot of the the stage production. I mean, or like the set production mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, we're this is probably going to be more in The Shining, but honestly, like this is. I mean, I know that television is at another level right now, but I think like even some of the set designs in this and the way that the town feels so lived in is far and above what most productions for films are nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so detailed. And I just, I would love to talk to the set designer sometime about this. Cause it's just, yeah. it's just so every, it just seems like every sequence, no, no matter where they are, if they're in a bar or jail or wherever, there's just, just so yeah. much attention to detail. And you really just do believe that this is a, a real town and this is a real place. And I think that's the most important part of the show. And something Abrams talked about in uh, the, the interview that we referenced last week. And for me, I mean, like it's the cliche, Castle Rock is a character. And, uh, this is <laughs> name of the show. Every yeah, episode, yeah. I just keep seeing more well, and more. And I think, and I think the it's 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 a it's like a savvy business move, but mm-hmm. also really is a strength of the show by pretty much keeping pretty much keeping it confined to this town. They a don't have to spend a ton of money because they're not going to all these different locations. Um, I, have they? Is it a sound? Did they build the town or is it just a? I, I should have looked into. This yeah, before. they did. It's a, it's, it's a Orange, town. Massachusetts. Yeah, it's a okay. Town. Yeah. So by by. Keep you can find a probably a location that's not very expensive to film in, and setting most of the stuff there. They save some money, but they also really get to dive into it and explore mm-hmm. it in a way that I feel like even previous Castle Rocks haven't. You oh, know, yeah. we don't really get this from Cujo necessarily. I mean, I, I like the way they present it in the Dead Zone, but I really feel like we're exploring every nook and cranny yeah. of, of this place. Uh, one other moment, I, that just it's a just a really quick thing I want to talk about too is that that fish cleaning scene with yeah. SpaceX, just like. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always great to give a character something to do like that because the actions can reflect what they're talking about, and it's also just interesting to watch. It's way more interesting to to see a tent scene while a woman is is uh, cleaning guts out of a fish than just sitting at a table uh, talking to her, yeah. her son. You know, so yeah. Who would you say is the MVP of this episode? Mm. I you know I'm tempted to say Henry, but I think I'm going to say Dennis because of that final sequence, mm-hmm. and I th- and because it's bookended, and because I think that's yeah. going to have that's going to have so many crazy repercussions, both on a surface level uh, uh, plot realm, and also I think thematically too. You know, I think it's Dennis too, and, and Dennis does not have a lot of dialogue at all. No. but the way he's able to convey what's going on through that 
that just dead end monotonous face that he gives throughout the entire episode is really, really, really effective. Yeah, because you feel like you really do feel the betrayal. You like, do. I mean, he just feels so isolated and alone uh, when he's told that you know there's no there's not going to be a testimony. I mean, it's just a hearing, and that. Henry's leaving. So it's like yeah. his one beacon of hope. And this guy put his fucking life on the line for this. And now he's just being kind of uh, pushed aside. So he's just going to go back to his life. And he yeah. can't leave his. That's the thing. Henry can leave anytime he wants. Yeah. But this kid's really stuck there. You know, he's yeah. got family to look out for and small town mentality. And yeah. I would, I would argue that this final scene is, might be the most haunting sequence we've seen from the show so far. Boy, I would say so. Yeah. It's the most jarring, mm-hmm. to say the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. What's also jarring is something you'd find in, uh, where, where, do, where would we go to see some uh, creepy things? Where Graveyard? We... The cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person but it ain't that person because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all all right i think this episode we've already talked about how there are some horrifying things that happen aka all the stuff that happens with dennis but I think there are a lot of really more subtly terrifying stuff that kind of keys into like the world of Stephen King for the most part. Like yeah. when you have those really tense face-offs that you don't know where this can go. And I think everything for me, the scariest moment in this entire entire episode was everything that happened at the Desjardins house. Oh, yeah. Agreed. From the moment he get, I mean, <laughs> as soon as he's outside, he sees this what might be a cage, what might be a dog house. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's like disgusting. And then even and then they do the thing where you think everything's okay once he runs into, into Joe, and then that sequence becomes completely creepy. Yeah, also. yeah. He, he just starts doing this thing where it's almost like it's hinting. It's very David Fincher. Uh, I just think of like the Zodiac, uh, where when they go when Jake Gyllenhaal goes and inspects that one house at the very end, and there's this this one weird thing that Joe does where he just kind of like almost like touches his face or something. It was just like, oh, you're still the boy. There's still the young boy. That's my moment is when he goes, I can see the little boy in your face. Oh, God. That could could mean a million things. I know. That could mean, did he actually see him in person at that time? Or did he just see him in the files and in the newspaper? Or is there like a sexual element to that too? That's that's just a creepy line But then he does say, say, you know I never touched you. Yeah. Does that mean that, again, I never met you before, so of course I didn't touch you? Or... We were in touch back in 91, but I never touched you. Or my brother did and you didn't. Or Or my brother was the one that was wrongfully accused is as we find out that all his brother wanted to do is just get away from like tax fraud. And so it said that his brother never actually lived in the house. No, he technically inherited it from him, but he never actually lived there. Yeah. Joe's always lived there. Now, granted, the stuff that we see from his memories, at least Henry's memories, don't really add up to the house being there yeah i don't think it's that house because it was a dirt floor there was a cage all this other stuff but i don't know that like i i I don't think definitely it's not over with this joe guy well as we all know with castle rock just because it's just because you're not responsible for one thing doesn't make you a creep i'd argue everyone has a little bit of a secret well it's just it's just weird that he has so he has this file from henry's like the police report that has all this information that he found through um 
Oh God, what was her name? The it was like Pat something. Wait, were you looking at though, Mike? The other thing, the other two big freaky parts were when the kid stands up and recites that Bible passage. Oh yeah, yeah. And of course, the very end for me. Those were the those were the most chilling yeah. aspects. And, of and I will say, um, and you know, I wouldn't mind if the show went a little bit more in the the horror direction. I, I almost feel like right now it's not quite it's it's not pure horror necessarily. It's no. kind of like small town drama mixed in with with some horrific elements. And and I. Uh, I enjoy that they're being pretty economical about what they're showing and, and they're almost withholding a lot. It does seem like as the show progresses, we're getting more and more sequences like that. So I, I wouldn't mind if there continues to be that unspooling by the time we get to episode well, eight or wherever the finale yeah, is. Dare seeing... I say it's it's unraveling much like a Stephen King novel. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. We're no, getting it... touches here and there, but then by the end, I'm sure we'll have an all-out supernatural going on. You know? well, there's also... All right. So basically going back to the to Joe DeJardin... Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Pat Kelly's basement that he that uh, where the file was originally found, and then the pipes burst, and then the files were taken to a dump, mm-hmm. which means this guy like scavenges around the dump because he says that he, he looks like a hoarder, to, so it makes yeah, sense. he like he likes to hold on to things. Yeah. But then, oh my god, it's like it's just really weird because then he talks about the bones in the dryer because he wanted to have his brother's bones from the when he shot off his pointer finger, finger and his yeah. uh, thumb. So he talks about that, but then he starts talking about carbon dating and about how the nuclear bombs caused the the carbon dating so that we can, you know, it's like nature's clock and just a lot of weird more. It's just more existential sort of meditations that uh, that Sam Shaw and Dustin Thomason are like putting into the show that kind of take it the the King's story to like, again, like that true detective, like Russ Cole level of like sort of thinking that's mm-hmm. that's really eerie to me um there's just something dreadful about it uh and i, I don't know that, that that whole sequence from beginning to end it was just oh god i want to get the fuck out of there as soon as well, possible obviously joe is included i, I call him jokes we're good friends but joseph oh, cool. is uh, you, get, you get a three or a two know, from joe <laughs> five. Oh, five. wow we um we don't know what anybody is capable of anybody that we've met so far yeah. Well, obviously Molly killed somebody, but you we don't know say, what they're really, yeah. really yeah. capable of. So you might say that everyone in this town has a secret. Castle Rock is not a good place. Yeah. What are some other creepy moments? I mean, those might be like I say. I feel like the the show is being pretty like judicious about yeah. about what they're showing, and I, yeah, every episode for me so far has had maybe one or two really, um, yeah, quote unquote creepy moments. Um, I, and I think, but I think they're getting more elaborate as they go along, and like that well, final scene. The final sequence is definitely the most. Um, actually, I mean, it reminded me a little bit of True Detective since we we mentioned mm-hmm. that with that. Um, I think it's episode six where they they do that one tracking shot of yeah. Russ Cole trying to break out oh, of the God, Louisiana slums. That. So incredible! And that they zoom out and they play that Grinder Man song. It's like still one of my favorite TV sequences yeah. ever. Um, I mean, it's different, obviously, but I feel like they're always. I feel like any show that's worth its salt and that is going to have a future life, it always gets to a midway point in the first season where. Some some kind of really like show stopping sequence happens, and I feel like that was the surveillance tape yeah. or the surveillance footage was was probably that for the show. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, we've talked about our favorite moments. We've talked about our scariest moments. Oh, this is a tough section, but I'm feeling a little misery. She she died. She just slipped away. Slipped away. Slipped away. She didn't just slip away. You did it. You did it! You did it! You did it! You did it! You murdered my mother! Annie! Annie! 
it's hard to really talk about because we're, we're only halfway there. It would be like if we were covering a like a book that we love of Kings mm-hmm. that falls apart at the end, where you're like, well, no, everything's everything's pretty great in chapter yeah. five. Yeah, and the show is really unlike many Stephen King adaptations or, or riffs. It's it's really good about like averting the cheese factor. Yeah. Even yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess my one complaint about the show, uh, but I don't know because it, it, it may be for nothing. It, it is just like we talked about the raising a lot of questions and and i'm always i love jd abrams but i'm always skeptical a little bit of just going down a rabbit hole yeah and going down the rabbit hole and going down the rabbit hole and never finding a fucking yeah. rabbit and so i think that it seems like the show is answering some things so i don't think it's going to be a thing like we get to the end and we're just left with a, a fucking riddle box of, of nothing um that'd be my one complaint but i don't know it seems like they're starting to resolve and answer things and so they, i don't even want to complain about that they even resolved the one thing i had in this misery section last week was that fact that henry just didn't really have a rock or someone to kind of lean on and having that sort of set a sequence between um you know molly and him when they're at the bar and they're just talking about stuff really felt like they're finally getting the level that i was talking about missing from the previous mm-hmm. episodes that yeah. are so paramount in stephen king novels is that you got to have that sort of like that friendship, even if it's not the strongest. There's still some sort of bond that you need, and even yeah. that was not an obvious one because no. for him it is. He thinks it's a sturdy, it's a steady rock, but she's obviously holding a lot if, back too. If oh, I, yeah. if I have any yeah. misery, it's, it's about not having Scott Glenn have more swearing in it. I That's true. <laughs> more swearing. You listen here, fucker. You know, um, <laughs> no. I, again, uh, for me, four for four so far. So me it's too. hard. It's hard yeah. to really poke any holes Same yet. Here. Well, let's. It's, you know, let's, let's ease our uh, pain mm. by going deeper into King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Uh, I've got a big one here. Oh, yeah? What's your big, the big one? Henry went missing on 1-9-1991. Ooh, wow. one 9 19 19. Oh, I didn't even realize that. And then 1991, that, and yeah. then 91 reverses 19. That's interesting. <laughs> I thought you were gonna, I thought that you has gonna... to be intentional. Oh, absolutely. I thought yeah. you were going to say on 1122, 1963. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I got one that I've been wanting to say this entire time. And this is something, if you go back to our Cujo episode, one of the first things I say when we were talking about Castle Rock is. Do they ever mention the Dodd House again and who lives in it? Oh, yeah. And now we know who yeah. lives in it. So, Because it, I rewatched it. I couldn't remember if it was this episode or the third episode, but it's this episode where she says it? Yeah, yeah she, says, she says that she's trying to say that, oh, who cares if, you know, Lacey died and, you okay. know, and, and, and this such. But my, in my house, a, a strangler killed himself. And then yeah. that's like, oh. So. Which is, no, it's funny because when she said that at first, I got um, a, a confused just for a second because... Terry O'Quinn had ma- mentioned all the history stuff in mm-hmm. Castle Rock, you know, mm-hmm. and I, th- I thought at first he w- he he said it was his ha- like his house that it that it, that the Dodd thing happened. Oh no, yeah, no, and no, the- it was funny because because he had that monologue, and I I just assumed everything had happened in his home, and I'm like, no, no, it's that. And so, well, yeah, that's good. And we've heard about the gazebo before. You were yep. saying, and so there's some night. Yeah. So there's a lot of dead zone references that are in here. Um, but what's great about it is that. You know, I, having just rewatched Cronenberg's uh, Dead Zone this past weekend at a, our, you know, film festival, <laughs> you know, it's I, I was actually watching this the sequence very closely, uh, having seen this episode prior to watching the movie, and the her house actually does look very similar to the house that's in that it does, movie. Frank Dodds. And then when you watch the movie and you actually look across the street, there are houses over there, so it is kind of cool to think like yeah, now when you go there. back. Oh, maybe Henry Deaver is uh, living over there, yeah. or going to be living over there soon. And yeah. I feel like the, I feel like Dead Zone is a good 
a good novel for them to keep coming back to because the events that happened in there were, I mean, I know, I know it involved like a, a psychic or whatever else, but at the end of the day, it's a small town murder. So it may, it makes, it makes sense to me for them to keep coming back to that as opposed to needful things, which is like, yeah, there's, it's some the crazy last capital. Shit. Up, yeah, sure. It yeah. makes you wonder now because maybe this is a little room in 237, but you know, in the previous episodes, Molly's house was kind of, uh, just, you know, destroyed and things were mishmashed and she was wondering what the hell happened there. Maybe Dot is back and he's found another Cooge. I think, yeah, maybe Cooge is running around that house. I I uh, hope so. I want Cooge to come back. And we, and uh, yeah, and just to make sure, in case someone just fast forwarded to this section, um, yeah, Vince Desjardins, obviously, again, uh, being from the body. From the body, yeah. 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 And uh, it's funny because on the King Wiki, they have an entry on him, not, and I don't think they've updated it to have Castle Rocket, but (laughs) it's the guy guy from the the stand by me. It's just the blonde, like, thug guy. Yeah, and that's like all that's there. It's like, but it's, but that's, it's funny that how, like, this guy with this really minuscule entry will probably have, it'll probably be expanded a lot and come in. But once again, if you didn't know who he was going to the show, if you you didn't know what, Strangler Molly was referring to doesn't affect the show either nope, way. No, yeah. and it, it, it's like uh, Pusha T says, if you know, you know, and, that, <laughs> and you know. What are some other uh, Kings Dominion this episode? For this episode, that's pretty much it. That's all I had. I mean, like oh, um, the character of Alan Pangborn's back. <laughs> yeah. He was also needful things in Dark House. <laughs> oh, wow, I mean, like that's said, crazy. There's there's some things that they're hinting at um, with the. Like I said, the, the the plot of land that the fathers came buried in there. There's some things there. Maybe uh, maybe that's kind of pet cemeteries, but I'm probably too early to. Oh no, it. there was that one scene when Barlow shows up and says, <laughs> uh, "Is there room for another antique shop?" <laughs> and then uh, end credits. <laughs> that's pretty. All right, cool. while we're in King's Dominion, let's just walk into room two thirty seven and offer some theories that we have. I think a lot of things happened right here in this particular hotel over the years, and not all of them was good. I would like to point out my brother's not here, so I'll represent him. Mm-hmm. He talked about an old Twilight Zone episode in the last episode that resembled what's going on with the kid. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Howling Man. He, yeah. It's about the devil being locked up and then being let loose. Well, guess what's playing in the living room right before the scene starts with um, Ruth and Alan? Oh, what? It's that episode of The Twilight Zone's playing on Weird. TV. Oh, that's a uh, good eye, man. That's creepy. Yeah. I think, that Mac, very, I think Mac creepy. is always the... Yeah, a little bit of a sleuth. Well, Mac might have watched the fourth episode before he yeah. recorded the third episode. But yeah, we'll just say that he did point that out to me, though yeah. that, that 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 was playing. The, so this has no the, this the show has not hinted at this, but I, I since I haven't been on the, any of these episodes, it's something I've wanted to bring up. Um, just the idea of a death row lawyer in the the bizarre bad dreams. There's a short story called Bad Little Kid that's about a death row lawyer defending this guy who killed a little kid for reasons you find out later. And there's some there. I don't know why. I feel like maybe there can be some connection down the line, or maybe Henry, like we we find out that. Hey, What's the name of that story again? Bad little kid. Kid. Oh, oh wow. shit! In a way, he is where he is working with the bad little kid, or maybe a good. That's something I wanted to say too. I actually wonder if I know we've been talking a lot about. Oh well, maybe the the kid in this is a personification of the town that that uh, uh, Lacey realized he had to like keep hidden, or. They could go the other way and do a carnival thing where, like, oh, the kid, the kid is actually really noble and good because the kid hasn't done anything yet that con- necessarily confirms that he is evil incarnate or anything. You know, so I actually wonder if maybe he'll maybe go it's a combination it. of two. Maybe he is good deep down, but mm-hmm. if he's let out, then something bad will happen. Can't have darkness without light. You know, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah I definitely, I definitely think that there's some truth to the the idea that he he himself is self aware enough to know that. He cannot get out, and 
and he has he has some sort of understanding about his powers, so to speak. I I I just even early on, there's some sort of there's even the way he's so complacent around Lacey. Yeah. yeah, like he he did, he never really fights back with him. And granted, that's not really his attitude or anything, but. There's just a weird sort of understanding with his scenes with Lacey. And Lacey never seems so malicious against him. It's almost like this sort of, like, pity that he holds. Yeah, he never, like, is... He, he's never... Yeah, he's never um, aggressive, even. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, I found this thing. It's like his animal. I have to keep... Uh, yeah. You know, like, like even, and I, I'm looking forward... Something else we haven't really talked about is I'm still looking forward to finding out why he told the kid to ask for Henry. Yeah. That's the big question yeah. I'm still waiting for. I'm looking forward for that today. Because, answer. you know, Mac has got a crazy good theory uh, about the uh, what's going on uh, with Henry's reappearance in the first episode. And I, the ties, Fenny, right? Yeah. Or, or going, it was like uh, the territories, maybe mm-hmm. going into the territories and where time isn't necessarily syncing up. Yeah. That would be pretty awesome as well. But they, I mean, it's interesting because they don't really have the rights to the Dark Tower. So I don't know how they but you could, around that. You could. Do it without saying what it is. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Well, I don't have any more based on this episode. Mm. Although I actually do think that uh, that Joe Desjardin is could have possibly been the one that kidnapped him, and I think that we're gonna find out more about that. But then again, that might be a little too easy. It just seems a little weird that he keeps this file and. I don't know. It just, I think that could just be a, a deliberate misdirect, though. Yeah, right it's now. a red herring. It's, it's probably is a red herring at this point. Oh, um, I also think that there's got to be something to do with uh, the, the, the the visual metaphor of the piano going through the, the ceiling just seems a little too obscure. I think it might just be representative of the house falling apart. Yeah, and that this this huge piano just yeah. broke through. After this is this the, is it, me like in my Twin Peaks vision right now, <laughs> it, like uh, last year, just like fucking analyzing everything yeah. at this. It point. actually it actually made me think of two very unrelated things. So there's an episode of Perfect Strangers where they're having to move a piano up like a, in a Chicago like stairwell. And it's supposed to be this kind of homage to Stephen King stories because it keeps like they keep fucking up and it keeps like chasing them and so and it, it's like oh that's funny. and so I was, that's what I thought and then I also thought of I have no idea why and when I saw that this like just this piano in this ghostly environment I thought of the um, the cover of the R L Stein book Piano Lessons Can Be Murder but for oh. some re- for some reason I thought <laughs> Stephen King had written it for like a split second like <laughs> oh yeah that's a reference to Piano Lessons Can Be Murder of course, like the old classic wait, young, young adult book yeah and then and then I thought. Um, yeah, and I was like, wait, what? No, fuck. Why am I thinking? So anyway, so that, that, that does nothing. That's just a little R.L. Stein uh, shout out. So yeah. Well, I'm done with theories. Yeah. You got any more theories? Uh, no, I'm good right now. I'm looking forward to these next episodes. Well, I got one theory. Hmm. It's that uh, we all have some final thoughts to say. <laughs> now, don't give me any arguments. <laughs> the ice is going to break. Mike, I'm going to put your theory to the test. All right, go for it. <laughs> I'm going to try. All right. I think I, I alluded to this earlier. I think that so far we're four for four. I can't, I can't stop thinking about The Mist, the mm-hmm. TV show The Mist, and how this seems just like a competent production. The cast is just great. Mm-hmm. I, I guess Hulu had more money than Spike TV at the time. But it's funny because somebody from The Mist is actually on this show. It's, yes, it's yeah, Lacey's wife. Yeah, well, God, I can't wait to forget her name. From Six Feet Under, anyway. She's on, she's on the show, you know. But she's surrounded by these fucking veterans like Spacek and Terry O'Quinn and 
Glenn, and you got these up and comers like Andre Holland and Jane Levy's on the rise as well, and I'm sure I'm living out other people. But um, oh, obviously, Melanie Linsky's been around for a while. She's awesome too. Oh, absolutely. What we're talking? She's in some Joe Swanberg stuff, right? Which I, I can't remember which movie it was. I saw her in. Uh, it wasn't Thinking for Fire, I don't think. Or no, maybe, Drinking Buddies. Maybe. maybe it was Drinking Buddies. But yeah. she was also on a really good show on HBO. That was a Duplass Brothers show. That's what you're saying, Togetherness? Togetherness. Yeah, she was yeah, excellent yeah. on that show. And you're thinking before Frances Conroy. Frances Conroy, yes. Yeah. She's, she's Lacey's wife, great stuff. who was also in The Mist, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, this is... this. I said it last time, but this is the most exciting Stephen King property I've you know, I've been able to grapple with mm-hmm. uh, since we started this podcast and yeah. possibly years prior. I, I, it's just so exciting. I, I mean, unlike... And like a Stephen King book that's brand new, we have no idea where this is going to go. And we have no idea what, what, what the ending or anything could be. I mean, it's kind of reminds me a lot of like last week's or last year's Twin Peaks, where yeah. every episode is just something totally new that I have no idea. Like, I, I, And I haven't been watching previews and I haven't been watching anything. I haven't really been reading about this show. No, either have I. And I love the idea that it could be any character... It could be any, you know, and for us, it's fun. That could be any reference. And, and these new characters could lead to some sort of like revelations about other things that, so that there's just like a multi-layered enjoyment here and the originality of it. And then also the kind of echoes the past and these echoes, like we've been saying and hammering over and over again, they do, they aren't distractions and they aren't that necessary. They're just there. And yeah. they're there for you if, if you want them essentially, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I know some shows really do benefit from, you know, reviewing them episode to episode. A show like Easy, for instance, speaking of uh, Joe Swanberg. But it was funny because I I was a bit behind and I knew I was going to be in town for this. So I watched um, I watched the episodes pretty quickly in succession and things were starting to blur together in a good way because like we were saying before, I'm like, oh, this happened on this or that. And I feel like it, it really is a using long-form storytelling to its advantage, maybe more so than even a lot of the other like prestige television that's mm-hmm. been on the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like almost hard to give individual ratings to whatever because I feel like it is it's it's going to be the sum of its parts, which that's both that could be awesome, but it could also be we could get to the finale and be like, oh shit. You well, know, then, that's uh, the other thing. That's the great yeah. thing. That's still the great thing about TV is that it's this ongoing mm-hmm. chapter, and we, yeah. it could also be absolutely awful in the yeah. end. But hey, the next six weeks could be awful. We never know. But yeah. so far, it's doing good. I do have one question for everybody. Yeah, sure. I feel like in these anthology shows or just seasons of television in general, we always get a bottle episode where we literally just follow. One person. We kind of had that with the Molly Strand character. Yeah. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like the equivalent to something like the Fly or whatever. Yeah, in, we're in just Breaking in Bad. But yeah, I mean, we. Who, we so who would you want to hmm. follow that that we, oh. we either haven't spent oh. a lot of time with or we have spent time with, but we just want to follow them for forty five minutes? I, uh, it would be Joe at this point because I think I think for me he has like the he creepiest. knows he just knows shit. Yeah, and he may not remember all of it, but like I think I would want to follow Joe on sometime during that time period back in nineteen ninety one. That's that would be creepy yeah. as hell. And I, and I feel like they would do it in a way where it's not just obvious, like, oh he's the one who kidnapped it. It would it would I feel like it would show us some really crazy things. I have a theory. What? I think because she wasn't on this episode, I would be surprised if Jackie Torrance has an episode to herself. Could be. Good. I I mean I keep seeing more and more of Lacey. And I mentioned, uh, in the, I think in the last episode, how we might get a bottle episode of him. Makes sense, too. And I think that would make sense, too. Yeah, to figure out, kind of see. I don't, it, But then again, I don't really want to see all of it. You know, I like the idea that we don't really know all the specifics. 
But at the same time, I really want to see Terry O'Quinn. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, so, I love Terry O'Quinn. And well, I, you know, Dan, to go back to earlier when you thought that Terry O'Quinn was in a good marriage, you're probably yeah. getting that mixed up with the stepfather, which is very similar to. Yeah. Which I, I and he was also in Stephen King's Silver Bullet. Oh, so that's right. Yeah, a couple yeah. different things that were going on. Kazuwiel, do we give? So do we give a little Pennywise well, noses or not? Well, what really? about you? Well, who do you want to see a bottle episode? I, I I do want to see Jackie Torrance. Yeah, yeah. I would love to find out if she is. If it's more than just. Since the last episode there, let me back up a little bit. Since the last episode there, our episode on on Castle Rock, there there have been allusions that she has made the actress Jan Levy, as well as the creators, that this is more than just a cute name. Oh, I so I do think, think that, that yeah. there is an absolute relation going on here. Whether or not yeah. they address that full on or not, at this season we don't know. Yeah, but um, it's not just some cute play on the name no. Jack. I'll, no. I'll just say that. No, totally. But totally. Th- though that's for me, that would be the bottle episode. Okay. Do, do we give Pennywise ratings or are we just kind of... We can. Yeah, yeah, we, we did last week. Oh, we did? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'll, I'll give this episode four of Red Red Pennywise Clown Noses a very good episode of television yeah. and it's a very good fourth episode of the show. And it's amazing how we've only been through four episodes but we're still... We'd be willing to watch... <laughs> Full episodes following one of these characters, mm-hmm. and that is an accomplishment. Absolutely. So, yeah, I would I would go with four also. And it's funny because maybe the first two episodes I would have gone closer to three, three and a half, but because they're starting to answer some of the questions, and even if even if we don't know everything yet, I felt like this this gave us two of the best sequences so far yeah. with the with the Desjardins house and the shoot that shootout in the end i mean those are both really skillfully crafted sequences aside from the subject matter and being a stephen king thing that i'm inclined to like anyway so yeah four for me definitely i'm going uh four and a half mm. just because i think what? that this is this is hands down so far what we've seen of these episodes the tightest and uh definitely the most um focused uh script so far I yeah mean, just the bookends alone yeah. and how you get uh, there's some sort of like narrative parallels here in terms of just their of betrayal between you know Zaleski and then also Henry and how they feel uh, with the town of Castle Rock itself and just how they're almost linked by that betrayal but you know what one fuels the other. So for me, I, I just thought it was a very smart episode and just a lot of haunting images that have stayed with me. I think you know after we finished uh, rewatching it uh, this afternoon, it's funny that we kept singing crying and how it's been stuck in our oh, head yeah, all day yeah but i think a lot of that is also just because it's it is such a it's such a shocking and gorgeous scene and then for me i just i, I still cannot stop seeing that house by the you know the, the jardin house i mean like that the fact that it's this the, the surrealism of it being a functioning barbershop is so weird and it's so creepy to me and the way it's like tucked away in the forest. I don't know. There's just a lot of weird imagery that you can get just from the little bits that they give you. And I, and I want to say it's Lynchian in a way. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of other shows, the way that they would have handled that would be he would show up in the woods and it'd be like this made up house with a big barbershop pole, yeah. like somebody outside, like acting really over the top. Like, yeah. aren't we amazing? Aren't yeah. we Legion? I mean, I'm sorry. I don't oh, funny. Um, Ooh, are, no, we, uh, are we FX is Legion? But. Um, <laughs> There's nothing cute about it. No. It's just it's just here, and you believe. And when you're watching the sequence, you do believe that yeah. it could be in the middle of this. And it's you're a, like, Henry, get out of there. Yeah. Well, it's not it's not TV. It's Castle Rock. It's Castle Rock. <laughs> it's thing, yeah. it's and we're gonna get more of it next week. Mm. In uh, hey, in 1983, there was Blue Harvest, aka Return of the Jedi. Next week, we are getting 
Harvest. <laughs> By Neil Young. Uh, episode five. Harvest Moon or Harvest? Just Harvest. <laughs> and we're getting it next week, and uh, you'll have to stay tuned. You're going to have to stay tuned for our recap, because we're going to go deep in that episode, just like we got deep in uh, this episode. But until then, long days and pleasant nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. But it's hard to find somebody to treat you good. Consequence Podcast Network.